Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 13, The Firebending Masters. We are, we are like, really on the home stretch now. I mean, this feels like, um, like this episode is doing some work to kind of click some things into place so that we can get to the end game. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, this episode also feels like they gifted another episode to John O'Brien where it was like, hey, we need to make a big move. It seems like for him, it's either we don't know what's going to happen in this episode. We kind of need you to fill the space or we need to narratively move ahead and and kind of like shift towards, I mean, at the end of this, Aang being able to use fire, right? So like we right. need to get all of that done in 20 minutes. Can you do that? You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and I'm sort of curious to me, I don't know if you've looked into this or not, but how is this episode regarded among kind of the fan community or is this it's, one that's just kind of in the middle? I didn't look up um, ratings on IMDb or anything, but it seemed like on the Reddit forums and rewatches uh, people seem to really like it. Uh, the only critiques are kind of the ones I just mentioned where it felt like the, the some argued that the plot felt a little contrived. It felt a little bit too perfect um, for the outcome they were looking for. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. But also they only have 24 minutes to do it. And it's a kid's show. <laughs> like <laughs> we need to move ahead, you know? Yeah. I will say, I mean, I liked, I liked the episode. I liked, some of the stuff that it accomplishes. This is not high on my list of episodes for a couple reasons. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have a B story at all. It doesn't even hint at a B story, um, which is kind of weird because Avatar always has that. And what I noticed because of that is they spend more time on Aang and Zuko, you know, going on this, going on this little journey together, which is, which sounds really cool, but in truth, there's not that much to the journey itself that mm -hmm. it, so it ends up feeling long. I feel yeah. like this episode felt longer to me than, than others. And it's in part because it's not as kinetic. It's not as like, we're doing this and we're going to mirror it with this, or, or even if we're not mirroring, we're going to jump between these two stories. And it felt like we just stayed on this one thing for, for a long time. Now, this is not a critique of this episode, mm. but I will say, I think I watched this three or four times this week with the exception of when I took notes and actually even while I was taking notes, this is more of more of a product of the time of day and how busy I've been the last couple of weeks. Like, I kept kind of dozing off during this episode. Um, almost, I watched it again last night, and I just realized as I got about 15 minutes in, I'm like, I'm really tired. And I, and I don't know if I'm just really tired or something about this episode. I think it's because it doesn't jump back to something. It's just this one story. Yeah. When I was doing the notes for it, too, it felt like, like you said, there there's moments of action, especially at the end. We have a big kind of action there's scene. There's a set piece, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but between all of that is a lot of exposition. Like, I, I remember just writing a lot of quotes, and they mm -hmm. weren't necessarily quotes that were... It wasn't like with Zuko talking to Ozai, and it's like we we stare at every word to try to get meaning from everything. Yeah. It felt more like we just need to move along and kind of fill the space. So I get being a little bit tired during it. I do really like the episode, but yeah, yeah. it 
felt slower. I just okay. Let me try to phrase it another way. I feel like if we wanted to summarize the plot of this episode, we could do it really quick. If we wanted to summarize the revelations of this episode, we could do it really quick. Mm. Which means like there probably was room for B plot or mm. room for a little bit more adventure. Because I mean, one of the uh, one reference I'm certain we're going to make as we talk about this is. Uh, is Indiana Jones. This, there's definitely like a lot of that if we're talking about 80s movie references. <laughs> this has some clear ones. I almost wish they were like, let's make this a little more Indiana Jones. Like, let's make yeah. this a little bit more of these kind of tense moments leading up to this, you know. So, mm. yeah, I, you know, I think, I don't think it's a broken episode. I don't think it's a bad episode. But when I think about what I really love about Avatar episodes, it's missing a little of that partially also because it's only two characters and they're on this little journey. And I, I, I wish I got more of Aang and Zuko talking to each other, mm. you know, even just like casually talk. Cause there are some moments like that. And I really enjoy them. Like, I feel like there was, this seems like there was opportunities for this episode to, to be better. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And the things that I like about this episode, I really like, like, like the conversations between Zuko and Aang, them, like, we've never seen them as friends. And here we start to see that develop. But um, the things, the rest of it was like, ah, this is okay. This is an mm-hmm. okay episode. Yep. Yep. For yeah. Sure. It's it's what actually, it's actually how I feel about like Temple of Do- Indiana Jones and the Temple <laughs> of Doom, which is like, it's it's fine. It's good. It's yeah. good. You know, but it's but it's also like I found myself a little bit bored during that too. At a certain points, like things kind of were mm. drawn out a little more. So, um, yeah, yeah. And forgive me, that is the second in it is yeah. the series, right? I, I yeah. also feel that way about sequels to big movies in general, right? Like mm-hmm. they take the things that are really good and they amplify those but then the rest of the plot can sometimes fall a little flat and that's kind of what this episode feels like for mm-hmm. for avatar <laughs> right um but should we get started with let's it? do it let's jump into the summary okay so we start off with a shot of the sun which really sets the tone for what the whole idea is for this episode um clearly it will be sun centered uh and we are in the western air temple and ang is starting his firebending lessons with zuko and so we get to see already a little taste of what zuko's like as a teacher but it changes kind of over the whole episode so he says i know you're nervous but remember firebending in and of itself is not something to fear And Aang takes a deep breath. He's kind of standing across a a courtyard from Zuko. He says, okay, not something to fear. Zuko, with his arms crossed, says, but if you don't respect it, it'll chew you up and spit you out like an angry Komodo rhino. I love, yeah, I loved this because, you you know, we had uh, last episode, we were sort of speculating what kind of teacher would Zuko be. And this is so clearly Zuko trying to find a balance where he's like, okay, the first line is so nurturing. It also lays out uh, a big idea for this episode. And something we've already seen is that Aang, this is the one element that Aang's been afraid of, mm. right? Like, like earth he struggled with because it was like the opposite of him, right? Mm-hmm. It was difficult in that way. But this is one where he comes into it with like, with genuine fear and Zuko's being so nurturing about that. And so when he said that line, I was like, Oh, interesting. This is the teacher he's going to be. And then he snaps the other way and it's like, or is he going to be this kind of teacher? And I kind of love that. It's yeah. I mean, it truly reminds me of my first year of teaching where I was like, 
classroom management, how does this work? Like how, do, how, and I'm sure I felt like a ping pong ball just going in different directions emotionally in the classroom because I wasn't sure of myself at that point. Um, so I could totally see that. Yeah, it's like, it's like he's conveying a good cop and a bad cop within himself. Right. Um, so Aang gasps at this and Zuko tells him to show him what he's already learned in firebending because he's aware of Zhang Zhang giving some instruction. Well, I also love that because, you know, you and I both do a lot of work with working with students and especially working with tutors who are working with students. We both were TAs for uh, before we were teachers. And that's such that's just like great way to start your, your session is to be like, all right, let's start with what you already know. You know, yeah. I really like I was like, oh, great modeling of how to tutor there. Right. Unnatural. So then Aang, he widens his stance like we saw him do with Zhang Zhang over and over again. And he does this lunge with his arm to the right, but all that escapes out of his hand is just a puff of smoke. And Aang's like, well, you know what? Maybe I could use a demonstration, right? So he's like, come on, Zuko, help me out a little bit more. And Zuko agrees heartily. He's like, yeah, let me show you what I got. And he's like, you might want to take a couple steps back. And so we see Zuko inhale and he lunges and grunts as well. And he, uh, but nothing comes out of his hands, no fire at all. And in the background, we see Aang kind of uncomfortably clap twice. Like, is this what I'm supposed to be watching? But Zuko's clearly uh, very upset. Yeah, I, I love I loved Aang. Like, in the same way Zuko is trying to be a nurturing teacher, Aang is trying to be like an encouraging student. It's so clear they're both like kind of uncomfortable with this <laughs> with this setup because Zuko's never taught anyone and Aang's like, well, this is Zuko. He's been trying to capture me forever. So, but they're both like on their best behavior or they're trying to be on their best behavior. Yes. It's like very polite. Um, I also, there are several moments in this episode that um, for like, I, I hope we didn't come off as poo pooing John O'Brien at the start of the episode because we love him clearly. Mm -hmm. And um, he's really good at adding in these like little jokes in the background that you don't really see. So this is one of those where like Aang is clapping. It is not the center of attention. It just is something that you barely hear um, and, and can see kind of in the corner. So really great joke too. And uh, so Zuko kind of to himself in frustration says, that's the worst firebending I've ever seen. And he was like, I, I thought it was nice. And Zuko continues to lunge and attack, but all that really comes out of his hands are these small flames that quickly fade away. And he can't figure out why this is happening to him. So it seems Zuko has lost his fire. Right. Which said, and this sets up the central tension of the episode. So it's interesting because like, this is not, what I thought where we were headed. So it's, it's mm. kind of exciting in this way. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then later they're on the same kind of pavilion courtyard of the, of the Western Air Temple. And um, Aang is sitting on a pillar rune and he's just watching Zuko continue to lunge, continue to grunt and try to make fire arrive uh, um, alive in his hands, but it's not working. So hours have passed and Zuko manages at one point to make a slightly larger flame momentarily and Aang was like oh that that felt kind of hot and Zuko says don't patronize me you know what it's supposed to look like and Aang says sorry Sifu Hotman and Zuko begs him to stop calling him that so does did, did this bring up any like traumatic memories of being a teacher up in front of students and like clearly knowing to yourself you're failing <laughs> yes. I definitely I definitely thought a lot about this it's like oh I've 
I'm not a firebender, but I've had these moments where you're like, I cannot believe how badly this is going. And, but at the same time, like, I can't just leave. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. Like when a name escapes you or when, or like a student has to chime in and correct something small that you said, it's like, oh my God, like I'm just trying to be good, especially in your first years of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Demoralizing. I, I will say this is just a, a small sidebar story, but I remember, um, giving a lecture and it's the first time I'd given this particular lecture and I put so much work into making sure I had the information right that I hadn't thought about like how to tell the story. Mm. So I was just like, and this is in, again, in my early years and I was just basically like just conveying information without any kind of structure. And it's a 70 minute lecture. And I was about 30 minutes in and I had this clear thought to myself, I am so bored with what I'm talking about and how I'm doing this. So it's like, I'm boring myself. And then I looked up at, you know, 140 students in the room and thought, Oh no, we still have 40 minutes left and I've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. And I have no, there's, there's nothing I can do right now to save this other than to just keep going. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and like, I'm sure there were students where if I had said, Oh, this is going poorly, there would have been one person in front to be like, no, it's going great. Just keep going. <laughs> and it's like, I get that you're trying to be encouraging, but I, I am also in this room. I know this is not going well. And that's what I sort of sense from Zuko is like, yes, I know. I know what this is. We both know what this is supposed to be. And this isn't it. Yes. Like when, yeah, when there's kindness offered by the people that, you know, you're supposed to be in charge of. And then it's like, oh, that actually makes me feel worse. <laughs> like, I just feel more pathetic yeah. now that I'm not even like that. They don't they're not even convinced that I have confidence in myself. Right. Um, so Sokka meanders over to make matters worse and decides to mock them. Um, so he takes a bite out of his apple kind of lazily. And he's like, hey, jerks. Mind if I watch you jerks do some jerk bending? And Zuko yells at him to leave and Sokka does leave and he's still kind of like laughing at his joke, which we get this other train of like Sokka continuing to joke and no one laughing. I loved this moment um, from Sokka. And it's because we were also wondering like, what are people's relationships to Zuko being part of the group going to be? And I, and I think in what he says, the plural really matters. Right. Mm. He, he calls them both jerks, jerk bending. Now we know from the last episode, Sokka was one of the people who was very adamant. It's like, Aang, you have to learn fire, but you have to do this. Mm. And Sokka was on more on board than Katara with saying like, Hey, if this is going to help us defeat the fire Lord, I'm on board with this. But so, so this is, I feel like this is, this is less Sokka being negative towards Zuko and towards firebending and more like, how do I ingratiate him? How do I bring him into the circle? It's like, I am going to treat, I'm going to treat him like I would treat my sister when I, you know, this sounds like the way, uh, like a joking way about how Sokka would have talked about waterbending in episode one, you know? Absolutely. I mean, he did. He like openly mocked bending and always had. So it's not, and, and I like that he's not trying to change who he is around Zuko too. It, it's very authentic. Um, and he was like the first person to kind of, express any kind of um kindness towards him like showing him his room even though he felt awkward Sokka was like well this is where you're staying let me know if you need anything lunch will be soon you know just like pleasantries but still right and, ending, he, and even yeah. the fact that this joke doesn't land feels like an extension of this feels weird like I'm trying to be myself but it feels weird so he needs to re just like 
uh, Zuko needs to be reassured and Aang needs to be reassured. Sokka needs to be reassured that he's still funny. So he does that for himself because no one else is going to. It's like, still got it. Yeah, right. In case I was worried my humor was gone, I still got it. I think nothing is scarier for the class clown than when you enter a new class and it's like, oh man, this is all like like new group dynamics. I might not be the funniest person. And like Sokka has a whole new class right now. Like he's got Teo and that crew, like the the B squad. <laughs> and then he's got Zuko, right? So like he has a lot more um, laughs that he can get out, but also a lot more people to not laugh. And that's scary. So it's nightfall and um, Appa is munching on hay in a courtyard by Zuko as they rest. Um, and the rest of the gang sits near this cozy fire indoors, kind of off to the side. So Zuko's with a grazing Appa. And Zuko looks over his shoulder toward the fire behind him and he decides to join them. And he says, listen, everybody, I've got some pretty bad news. I've lost my stuff. He says his firebending is gone. And at that, Katara can't help but break out into laughter. And I wrote that it sounded like bitter laughter. Like it wasn't even like, uh, and, and she says like, this is, uh, I'm laughing because it's ironic. Mm -hmm. She explains that it would have been super nice had he lost his firebending when he was planning to capture Aang for the last, what, two seasons that we've known him. Yeah. It's almost like she's like, it's like performative laughter. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not like this genuinely struck her as funny, but she's laughing in the way if you were in a play, you would, you know, you would laugh to be like, I am performing laughing because I want to point out how ridiculous this moment is. Not because it's not because it's a genuine, this struck me as funny, but, but it's mm. like, it's a cutting kind of laughter. And it like mm, kind of reminds me of something Azula would do a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, so she, uh, yeah, so she's like, it would have been nice if you had lost that a long time ago. And Zuko says, well, it's not that it's lost. It's just weaker than it should be. And Katara says, well, maybe you aren't as good as you think you are. And Zuko suggests, like, maybe it's because I changed sides, right? And now I'm with the Avatar. But Katara calls it ridiculous. And Aang, though, agrees with Zuko. And he offers that maybe Zuko lost his firebending because his firebending was sourced from rage, uh, implying this rage is directed at Aang as the Avatar. Well, this is a really interesting idea, and, and this is going to get played out more in this episode, because like we've heard people talk about what the source of firebending is, and like we've seen some different approaches to it, and, and even what firebending is for and what it means. So um, this, this, I think, is setting up one of the central questions this episode's going to wrestle with. Yeah. And it's cool too, that it's like one, one of them can't form fire because of fear and the other can't because of rage um, mm -hmm. or, or a lack of rage, I guess a lack of the source that he had used for so long, kind of as a, a crutch. Um, so Sokka slides into the conversation and he says, that maybe they just need to make Zuko angry then. And so he starts kind of poking and prodding at Zuko with a stick. And Zuko yells at him to cut it out and says he doesn't want to rely on hate and anger anymore. He says there has to be another way. Did this make you think of anything else from this show? Mm, no. What are you thinking? This reminds me of the Avatar State episode and idea. You know, where Aang is like... People are saying, oh, if, if we can just make you, like, scared or angry, we can unlock 
this power that you have, right? And it works just like I assume it would work if, if, if Zuko could redirect his anger and like he could do it out of that. But Aang with the avatar state is saying, I, I don't want to do it this way. And mm-hmm. Zuko's sort of saying like, I, I want I need to be able to firebend because that's what I am, but I don't want to do it this way. I don't want it to be about rage and anger. So it's like, I feel like this is like this version of, of of zuko's avatar state you know it's like i i could do it i could hack into it this way but i don't want to do that yes and we talked about um how when you let emotions emotions drive your decision making then you then it creates a lack of control a lack of balance talked about like the tripartite soul and like how basically balance is what makes the avatar state actually successful and i think balance here balance of these emotional because because firebending isn't the absence of emotion. Like that's something that Iroh taught Zuko in season two. Like it comes, he says it comes from emotions like rage, but um, not just rage. Right. And it's like, it, it doesn't need to be no emotions, but it has to be balanced. It has to be in control. Okay. Now I'm coming around on this episode because I'm starting to think now, should we think about this episode in some ways in some ways as like a mirror to the guru episode mm. where where in the guru episode ang learns how to unlock the avatar state in a in a way that isn't just hacked into by fear and anger and maybe this is a about zuko learning how to understand firebending in a way that isn't just about these like like surface level, like almost appetitive emotions, but maybe something higher, something more noble. I like this. Okay. I'm, yes. I'm on board. I'm on, I took me a little bit, but I'm on board now. This is yeah. actually a really interesting mirror. If we think that way, a mirror, but at the same time, interesting too, because for Aang, it's more about learning, but for Zuko, it's about unlearning. And he'll talk about that a little bit later too. It's like everything, because he has been receiving instruction from birth of sure. how to firebend, and Aang, sure. Aang hasn't. He was just thrown into this Avatar life, right? Um, yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited now. Alright. <laughs> so, uh, Toph has some great advice this episode and last. Like, she is uh, becoming like the wisest in the crew, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and she says, uh, you know, he has to learn from uh, he has to learn to firebend uh, from a different source, drawing it from something else than just rage. She says, I recommend the original source. Zuko needs to go back to whatever the original source of firebending is. For earthbending, the original benders were badger moles. And then we see this pretty adorable flashback of a really young Toph, um, even younger than she already is. And we're watching this as she tells the story. So she continues. She says, one day when I was little... I ran away and I hid in a cave. That's where I met them. And we see the badger moles break through a wall of the cave, just like we saw at, at the start of season two, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, in the in the cave of the lovers. And they startle young Toph, uh, but then they start to lick her face as she giggles. And she even like licks their face back. And she said, they were blind, just like me. So we understood each other. I was able to learn earthbending, not just as a martial art, but as an extension of my senses. For them, as the original earthbenders, it wasn't just about fighting. It was their way of interacting with the world. I love this. Um, We knew already that she had learned, she mentioned it the previous episode, I think, that she had learned to earthbend from badger moles. But I really like 
I, I don't know that we ever really talked about badger moles like specifically, but it seems like sometimes the combinations that they use in these worlds um, are like funny or cute or just weird combinations. But this one feels purposeful because it's like a badger mole is very much her spirit animal. It's like mm -hmm. something that is, so you have the mole that's like small, uh, that can do a lot of damage though. That's like blind. You have uh, badgers who are like resilient and tough. Um, they're both resourceful animals. And like all of that is her. Like, and so her saying we understand each other makes so much more sense, even thinking about their character and quality too. Um, and I love that she also says interacting with the world. So they could have written like seeing the world or observing the world. And of course that wouldn't make sense to her as uh, it is her disability, but to say like, it's not just about watching, but it's interacting um, and understanding beyond just like one or two senses. I really love that scene. Yeah. And I also love, and again, this is, this is going back to something we've seen before, but it's fleshing it out a little more. This idea that the original benders were these animals, but mm. all of these animals are, it's like, the world has all kinds of crazy animals, but then there are some of these animals that seemed seem sort of tapped into the spirit world a little more, right? That that mm -hmm. so you know we see the 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 fish in the um, in the northern with the northern water tribe. We see the badger moles, and they seem like they are something between spirits and animals because the badger moles are also these enormous hulking creatures that look like the hay by kind of like in terms of the size and scope of it. And they have this power, which is so unimaginable. Right. And so there's this sense that like, this is how, this is how we learn these things, you know, or, you know, and, and so I love, I love whenever avatar gets into its spirituality and theology a little bit. So mm -hmm. the fact that we have these, they're almost like mythical creatures because it's not like people are always seeing them, but they're, but they're also not mythical in that they exist. Like you could actually go find the badger moles and learn from them um, and learn the really like the core of these disciplines. Yeah. Yes. But then there is that element that feels like otherworldly or timeless or like omnipotent about those creatures too that's yeah it's so it's like they're physical they're things you can visit but they also are tapped into the spiritual it's super cool and it's like martial arts i mean there's lots of martial arts traditions where it's like this technique is like the monkey technique and and it's like okay well because we are learning from the movements of this we're learning from the movements of this bird or the way it stands and we're going to use that as a basis mm -hmm. for thinking about balance and a basis for thinking about movement and poses and things like that to uh to sort of launch off from and, and like I, I really love the that yeah that sense of kind of learning from the world and the the spirit imbued world yeah yeah it does remind me of like the swamp episode and, and talking about the interconnectedness of nature and animals and people and like um yeah for people who are environmental activists or animal rights folks or just really anyway it's like very positive and uh it's a good thing to remind ourselves of so then Aang continues and he says, I learned from the monks that the original airbenders were the sky bison. And so he turns to Appa and calls out, hey, maybe you can give me a lesson sometime, buddy. Which I thought, oh, I, I hadn't remembered that. And uh, then I guess Appa's also like the last airbender too, right? Like it's, right. it's just him and those two together. Which, which is interesting because they don't make a big deal of the, tra the tragedy of like the 
elimination of the sky bison and that there's mm-hmm. this only one left but i mean both appa and ang are the last connection to this entire <clears throat> this entire way of life this entire discipline so mm-hmm. yeah it, it puts a little bit more like weight on appa mm-hmm. so zuko says um you know none of this is going to help me though since the original firebenders were dragons and they're extinct and Aang questions him. He's like, well, you know, what? a hundred years ago when I was a kid, he says, there were still many dragons around. But Zuko snaps back with kind of a disproportionate amount of emotion, some anger. And he's like, well, no, they're gone. Right. And since they're gone, uh, uh, like, we need to find another source. And so the suggestion is that we could seek out the ruins of the ancient Sun Warriors kingdom who were the first people to learn from the dragons, though they died off thousands of years ago. I This this whole exchange is so interesting because I love whenever we get this kind of broader picture of history. So a couple things there. Learning that in Aang's time, his original childhood, dragons were must have been prevalent to a certain mm-hmm. degree where it's like it wouldn't have been strange to see a dragon. You know, mm-hmm. because Aang's traveled to the Fire Nation as a child and things like this. So, um, so there's this sense that that gives us another picture of something has happened in the last hundred years, and we're going to learn more about why that is and what that is. But then we also get this picture of something much, much older that mm-hmm. this this Sun Warrior culture that he says you know hasn't existed for a thousand years, but is also the roots of firebending as well i think that's really so we have the dragons as a root this sun warrior culture as a root so i just feel i love like the richness of his history we're getting at least indicated here mm-hmm, for sure and so ing says uh ing says something really profound here too um i love this line he says it's like what the monks used to tell me sometimes the shadows of the past can be felt by the present and it's like one of those lines that i think it it's so simple but i also think it's very beautiful and also like ang himself is something that is both past and present uh as the avatar as like the iteration of the avatar but also living in the present he also disappeared for a while like it just feels not only like he's talking about the world and history but he's also talking about himself well and this is where i felt the john o'brien influence even more than humor is if you think about a lot of the great john o'brien episodes there is an idea that's put forth early in the episode, you know, uh, as like a statement of purpose for the episode or, you know, a mission statement for the avatar. He's really good at that. So here we have it for this episode. So pay attention to how many times in this episode we see something about the shadows of the past. Now, what I love about this statement too, is if you look at the statement, sometimes the shadows of the past can be felt by the presence. Think about the verb felt. Mm. That's a neutral verb, right? Mm. It could be felt in very positive ways. It could be felt in very negative ways. Like mm. this, so it's this statement of like the the past haunts the present. Um, mm. In 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 that would be like the negative version of it, right? That people are haunted by a past. This episode is all about that. But there's also the there's also like a positive nature of like people are empowered and informed and taught by the past. Mm -hmm. So it's like both of those things. So as we go through this, just 
let's just every time we 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 feel or hear an ominous like something from the past just say shadows of the past because it's all over the rest of this episode it's a great it's a it's a line that stands out when he says it and it's a setup for everything we're gonna see Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so they agree that they're going to search through the old ruins of the civilization because conveniently, it's not too far away from the Western Air Temple. I put a smiley face in my notes because I was like, mm, they're going to get this done in 26 minutes or 24 minutes. But it makes sense too because they're still pretty close to the Fire Nation. So, of course, mm. those, when you would assume the origins of the Fire Nation aren't that far away from the Fire Nation. Right, right, for sure. But it is convenient. <laughs> it is convenient. <laughs> so we do get a little travel scene. We see Appa flying um, Aang and Zuko over the ocean with no land in sight. Uh, this is the second time that Aang and Zuko have ridden on Appa. Uh, the first time was when Zuko was unconscious uh, at the season finale of the first season. Right. Um can I, can I interrupt you here? There's one other yeah. thing about the last scene that I need to mention. Yes, please do. Because it's, it is, it's, it's one of my favorite themes from the last few episodes. Yes. If you look visually at that scene, you see <clears throat> Katara, you see Sokka, Zuko, Aang, Toph, all those people talk. They're all part of it. And then you also see the B squatters who have zero lines. So I'm curious at how they're going to keep writing these people out of episodes. This, they are literally set dressing in this episode. They're sitting around the fire. None of them. There's not even like a, they're, they only appear in wide shots. They don't even get like a reaction shot of like Teo noticing something somebody said. Yes. It's like, just sit here and keep quiet. B squatters are meant to be seen and not heard. Yeah, they were not eating. They were not sleep. They were just sitting. They may not have been animated. They may have just been like still shots in a <laughs> wide shot. I mean, why not? I guess at that point, if you're not going to give them anything else, it's like, let's save us some time on the animation. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, we should definitely keep tracking that as we go. Um, so Zuko uh, complains about traveling on Appa. He's like, we've been traveling for hours and hours and this thing can't it go any faster. And at that, Appa roars and Aang says, Appa's right, Zuko. In our group, typically we start out our missions with a more upbeat attitude. And Zuko falls back dramatically and lays down in this like exaggerated shrug. Um, I also love the dynamics of kind of this like brotherly fighting between the two of them. Mm -hmm. It's all, it seems like it's all in good fun. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it seems like a bromance almost. Like it's like there's some tension, but also they seem to be getting along pretty well. Yeah. I mean, we, we had talked, you know, uh, after the, after the attack on the, the day of black sun, this idea of like, we've now reshuffled the deck. We're going to get some interesting pa pairings. So here's where we get one of them, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I, I'm really curious if he wrote a B plot that we don't, that we don't get, or if there was, if they conceived of one, because, you know, we could have done some other pairing, over at the over at the Western Air Temple, but instead it seems like they're just waiting around for this, right? Which yeah, which is which sure. is fitting, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I love almost... that I love that we're going to get this pairing and going to see how they interact and inform each other because we haven't really seen it since the Blue Spirit, right? I mean, we got that yeah. pairing then, but then that was a pretty dramatic setting. Mm. And like, yeah, and even those conversations, it was like a couple sentences, nothing more. 
So now they're having hours of time to bond on Appa. And Appa eventually reaches this mountainous island and he flies over its shores and to the center of the island where there is this large um, like ziggurat type structure surrounded by these ancient ruins of a city. And um, I was reading that uh, the, so the inspiration for this, the Sun Warriors culture is mostly like Mesoamerican, um, but there's also elements that are drawn from like ancient Indonesian culture. There's also some like ancient Mesopotamia. So they really were taking um, elements of, of culture, of clothes, even of like music, of um, uh, makeup and, and hairstyle from like all over the world in these different ancient um, kingdoms and cultures, which I thought was fun. So uh, then they leave Appa behind, <laughs> conveniently, he, he doesn't come back till the end, and they walk through the ancient streets. And Zuko starts remarking that there's something eerily familiar about them. Is this one of the shadows of the past moments, Sam? Um, well, we're we're. I would say we we get to the next line. I think I think we can say that, uh, yeah, because he starts to reveal what what feels familiar, right? He talks uh, about how he can tell that the fire sage temples are somehow descended from these, right? So we're seeing, mm. and again, felt is neutral, right? They're they are literally walking into a shadow. Well, they're walking into the past, or what remains of the past, the shadow that remains of the past. So yes. Yes, for sure. So yeah, he mentions about the um, the architecture from the, the Fire Sage temples and Aang goes, okay, well, we've already learned something about architecture then. So that's and, a win. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, he's, he's very, he has this upbeat attitude. Um, they continue to walk and talk. And as Aang does, he trips over a wire on the ground. He's not watching and it's booby trapped. And it causes the ground in front of him to collapse, exposing rows of jagged spikes. And he nearly falls into it, but he's able to blow air out and airbend himself over the spike trap. And he looks back at Zuko dismayed. And he says, I think the past is trying to kill me. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good Shadows of the Past joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Aang worries. He says, maybe we shouldn't be here. Maybe we should turn back. Clearly, we're not wanted. Um, but Zuko backs up, races toward the spike pit, and then jumps and runs the length of the vertical wall to get to the other side by Aang. And he says, well, where's that upbeat attitude you were talking about? Some good banter. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I like, I think it's at this point where when they're they're sort of debating whether they should keep going or not. And Zuko points out, you know, if there, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be booby traps if there wasn't something to find here, right? You right. wouldn't booby trap nothing. That there there must be something worth finding here. Um, this has a very this is where we really get into the Indiana Jones feel of it. Um, mm. You know the being cautious about booby traps, looking for this thing of uh, looking for this thing of great value. Yes, even just the artistic style is very like there's moss growing over ruins and. Um, mm -hmm no person in sight there is an eerie feeling over everything well there's also this great line that zuko has when he's looking at the booby trap and he's like wow i can't believe this still works because in <laughs> yeah. his head it's like this is thousands of years old you mm -hmm. know but he's like wow this but this this like trip line is still set up and still functions perfectly 
<laughs> maybe maybe he's starting to feel a little suspicious yes. about things. So they forge on and they go up a large staircase to the kind of the higher part of the city center. And they come to this massive wall with a mural. And on the mural is a man who's standing in the center. It appears as though he might be firebending, but on either sides of him are two dragons that are blowing fire at him. And Zuko remarks that the drawings of the dragons look angry. And this prompts Aang to ask whether dragons are friends with Sun Warriors. He didn't realize that the dragons were angry. And I think it's so interesting in hindsight to look at this image when you after you get to the end of the episode and it's like, oh, I and it took me a couple it took me a couple watches to realize like, oh, this is pointing like this is actually pointing us forward and and like they don't read that picture exactly correctly. And I missed it a couple times. Then I was like, oh, that's what it's a picture of. So what we're going to see essentially the scene depicted here, we're going to see that at the end of the episode and we're going to understand the meaning. Yes. And like when you first look at it, it could go one of actually at the end, you can, you realize it could go one of kind of two ways. So Mm -hmm. we'll get there. Um, Zuko. So he says, uh, so Aang says, Zuko, something happened to the dragons in the last 100 years. Something that you're not telling me. And Zuko breathes heavily and he says, my great-grandfather Sozin happened. He started the tradition of hunting dragons for glory. They were the ultimate firebenders. And if you could conquer one, your firebending talents would become legendary. And you'd earn the honorary title, Dragon. The last great dragon was conquered long before I was born by my uncle, who is the dragon of the West? Yes. Is that right, Sam? Yes, absolutely. So Zuko, as he's saying this, he kind of tenderly sets his hand on a giant dragon statue as they pass by. This sort of feels like Shadows of the Past, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Also, and like, I was thinking about this too. It's so funny that you mentioned that because this whole episode feels, I, I wrote down kind of on my own notes on my phone that was like it was like the ghost of Iroh is here the whole time mm-hmm. but you can also say like the shadow of Iroh is here the whole time it's like I so desperately wanted him to be in this episode he's not but like he's kind of throughout it I'm right? glad you said that because I kept assuming at some point he was going to pop up that it's like this is where he went assuming Zuko was going to end up here somehow, like, cause, cause Iroh's just ahead of the game. So I assumed this is where they were going to reconnect. Even the title, the firebending masters, I was like, Oh, so the, so the firebending master or masters are going to be Iroh and Zuko. And this is when they join the team and they're going to train Aang. I wrote this episode ahead of time and I was wrong, <laughs> but that, that's what I thought. I also find it so interesting. This idea of that the dragons are, the as Toph was talking about, like the dragons are the teachers of, uh, you know, the the origins of firebending. So just like she learned from the badger moles, you know, the firebenders learn from the dragons. But mm-hmm. think about how Sozin sets this up, right? Like, like the th- thing to do is to hunt. And when I hear hunt, I assume it's hunt, conquer, and kill dragons, mm-hmm. right? Because if the dragons are gone, this must be it. It's like it's such an interesting view of like the student teacher relationship. That it's like like the the goal of the student is to conquer and destroy the teacher, yeah. Um, you know, which feels very like Sith like from Star Wars, right? It's like absolutely. You know, like there is constantly this you know 
join me or conquer me and then you become me you know um it's all it's also like hama right hama was like hama is destroyed but in destroying in 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 in, in just kind of destroying herself and what she's doing she passes it along to katara mm-hmm. right and katara mm-hmm. conquers hama but by conquering hama she kind of becomes hama Yes, absolutely. So, so I, I feel like this is this. Th- there is something very ominous about how Sozin thinks about the relationship to the sort of like spirit teacher. Mm. Um, and and taking it even to another place too. I think this is must it must have been very early on, and I think I was consumed by animal rights reading or something. But I mentioned how the Fire Nation was really the only kingdom where you see like animals being utilized uh, like for labor and not just as like companions or just free agents. And I think that adds another layer to this like convoluted, distorted type of teachings happening in the fire nation. When you think about the reverence that the earth nation, or at least Toph shows towards badger moles, the respect and the joy that Aang gets out of, um, his time with the sky bison specifically appa and then you have this which is again like you were saying conquer and control that which gave you your power in the first place can i can i push back on that idea yeah for sure where is the love for the ostrich horses those things are just utilized (laughs) yeah true maybe they get something out of it i don't know maybe they like it i don't know (laughs) it sure seems like they're a utility they're certainly not free agents, those poor ostrich horses. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, okay. That that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I don't I don't have a rebuttal for that. You are right though. I mean I mean if you're thinking about the relationship to this specific spirit animal kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like 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 this is a very twisted relationship for thinking about that. Especially mm-hmm. for a group who's so interested in power. You know, unless there is this sense that the dragons have a particular view of firebending and power. And what we want to do is eliminate that view and only view it in our way. So there's maybe maybe the hunting the dragons is about trying to destroy the past, Mm. trying to destroy this past view because we want it to be this other thing instead. And it's interesting, too, because it's like a dragon is not neutral like i mean in in the way that we look at dragons they are seen as destructive they are seen as menacing uh and in like destroying sky bisons you you think back to like appa's remembrance of like when he was young and all the baby sky bisons and it's so cute and you think people destroying that is horrendous or like Uh, you know but then you think about the destruction of dragons and it's like well maybe there was something to that maybe there you know it it feels a little bit more like perhaps there's more to the story that we don't understand Mm -hmm. um but i think that's maybe just more to to the origin of firebending that we don't understand well or or that sounds like anti-dragon propaganda or an anti (laughs) an anti-firebending propaganda right that this is just destructive and this it's like well or is that just how they appear because they appear that way they look scary but like think about roku's dragon does roku's dragon seem destructive no right yeah right yeah absolutely um so they keep or, or so ang says uh, after Zuko tells him about Iroh um, destroying the last dragon, Aang says, 
I thought your uncle was, I don't know, good? And Zuko says he has a complicated past. Family tradition, I guess. So like shadows of the past? <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah, uh, I, love th- I love that line. And it's just like, it made me feel like, are we going to get even more Iroh past? I feel like mm-hmm. we need to. Um, because there's, because I feel like there's so many th- of the loose ends tie into Iroh's past. So I'm, I'm very excited to get more and more. Yes, absolutely. So they keep walking and they approach this gated entrance to the base of the ziggurat. I'm calling it a ziggurat. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, I think right. that's fair. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so it's uh, at the base of this is this big circular golden door, but it's locked shut. Um, Aang tries to pry it open, but he can't. <laughs> I, I, I love the number of times throughout the run of this show where you see like a single person pushing very hard against an enormous door. That's clearly <laughs> magically locked. It happens yes. all the time. It's like that. The first thing is always like, if I just put my back into it, I'm sure I can open this up. Yeah. It's very, read confident. the room. There's a big stone and like gem on top of it. Of course, there's like a magic opening device. Yeah. Also like, Aang, when have you ever opened a door in this series ever? Like it's right. not going to happen. I feel like Toph's the only one who can just like, brute force through a door absolutely and yeah so there is this red sunstone that's above the door and it's like "Mm, did that not did that not raise a red flag for you but i guess not so behind them across a courtyard we see this huge pillar and at the top of it is what i described as a red reflective circular gem it looks a lot like the red sunstone that's above the door and Zuko looks around um, and makes that connection. And then he looks down at his feet and he realizes that he's standing on a series of stones and tiles that are designed to be what he called a celestial calendar. Um, so it's like a big circle and there's four suns on it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the light will reflect uh, from that gem on top of the pillar onto those four uh stones throughout the year throughout the day i don't throughout so, the, so it's throughout the year because it's a it's a year. calendar yeah it's not yes. a clock yeah there you go science and then zuko explains that um that this is what the fire sages have in their temples too which we've because, seen right this yeah. when the winter solstice this is looks exactly like that setup yes and he says, I bet the sunstone opens the door, but only when the sunlight hits it at just the right angle on the solstice. And Aang says, monkey feathers, the solstice again. We can't wait here that long. And Zuko says that they could maybe speed up time. And so he unsheaths his sword and he reflects the sunbeam coming from the pillar, the red sunbeam, uh, so that it can bounce off and hit the sunstone above the door. And it works. The door begins to rumble and slide open. And... Uh, yeah, Sam. Yeah, I I think I love how much this is like almost like a microcosm of how some people think about this episode. Whereas this, there is this first sense of like, okay, this only opens on the solstice. This is going to take time. This is going to be long. And then Zuko's like, no, there's a way we could do this. Just <laughs> get this done quickly because we have to get we have to keep moving, right? So mm-hmm. even this solution is that it also feels very indiana jonesy this reminds me of um uh raiders of the lost ark i feel like there's even this isn't there even it's been a while since i've seen raiders isn't there a big staff with like a a gem in it that the sunlight goes through and focuses on something it reminds me of that so long yeah it also feels like 
like a lot of this episode feels like a Legend of Zelda style video game, which mm. makes me feel like, again, can I get a good like Avatar adventure video game? This would be so much fun. I know. I legit talk about this with Mike, my husband, all the time. I just really want that. Um, it seems like a series of puzzles or like an escape room. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. done an escape room yep, before, Sam. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it feels like that. So Aang says, you know, Zuko, I don't care what everyone else says about you. You're pretty smart. And Zuko smiles, and then the meaning kind of sinks in, and we quickly cut to a new scene. That's a pretty great moment. It is a pretty good one. Zuko's like, wait, hmm, <laughs> what are you trying to say? So then inside the base of the ziggurat is a platform, um, and the whole room is dark. There's just one, like, skylight coming from above. Uh, and... Um, they there's this platform that reaches around like in a thin ring and there's 20 statues of sun warriors striking different poses on top of this platform and these are huge statues and in the center of this ring is a mural again uh, on the floor tiles creating a sun and it's only made visible again through that thin stream of light from far above them and so the two boys walk into the center of the circle and they look around at the statues surrounding them and they note that there's a plaque conveniently <laughs> that calls it the dancing dragon and Aang stands at the edge of the sun mural on uh and and he realizes that there's these 20 small tiles that are right in front of each of the 20 uh statues so he stands on one of the tiles and he mimics the pose of the first statue. His arms are raised to the sides. His head is facing upward, just like the statue. And when he does that, the tile underneath him moves slightly down and locks into place with a click. I got excited when this happened because, again, this is this like we were saying with, you know, thinking about Zelda or Indiana Jones. It's like this is yet another puzzle. Um mm. And, and I love that there's something just about the, I was going to say feeling, but it's not a physical feeling, but like when it clicks down and you're like, Ooh, all right, we figured. So then it's like, then you, you realize you're figuring out just as Aang is that like, if we just do this, it will unlock something and you don't know what it's going to unlock, but you know, it's going to unlock something. Yes, it's like a treasure hunt mm-hmm. or a um, or like when you put the pieces in a puzzle and it makes that yes. really pleasing sound. You know what I mean? My dream in life is to stand on something that sinks down half an inch and like clicks into place just yeah. to be like, I have now. Now, it'll probably be how I die is like then something <laughs> will shoot at me. And I but like but that there is something so like gratifying about the sight and sound and I assume feel of that clicking into place. Yes. And you just look around and be like, what is it? What's here? It's either going to kill me or give me great fortune. That's right. So Aang says, uh, <laughs> Aang says, don't you see these aren't dance moves. These statues are giving us a lesson. I think this is some sort of sun warrior firebending form. So he asks Zuko to dance with him and Zuko's like, I don't <laughs> want to do that, but he does begrudgingly. And Zuko and Aang follow the steps of the statues, one on either side of the ring. So they each are doing 10 poses around this ring until they meet at the center. And they strike their poses to mimic the different dance moves uh, and activating those tiles on the ground as they do. And Zuko says, this better teach us some really good firebending. And at the last pose, Aang yells hooray as the activated tiles cause a pedestal to arise from the center of the sun mural. 
and a golden egg-shaped gem is on top of it. All right. So when I saw this, like, you say egg-shaped gem. They just call it a gem at first. This is an egg, right? This yeah, is yeah, most yeah. Defi- This is most definitively an egg. And yes. we have... So, so just doing the math here, we have dragons are extinct. Mm. We're at a temple to the people who like learned from the dragons and worship the dragons. They do this complicated puzzle and there is an egg shaped object. It's like, okay, this is a di- This is not a dinosaur egg. This is a dragon egg. And this is going to be the egg to Zuko's dragon. So clearly this is going to be it, right? <laughs> now, I will say this episode does not end with that. It doesn't even end mm. with even indicating that. But, like, I will eat my hat if this is not Zuko's <laughs> dragon, right? This is so clearly where this is headed. It's very... And again, I will say this is... Uh, well, I, the books were probably out, but, like, this feels very Game of Thronesy. You know, mm. uh, the dragons are extinct in Game of Thrones, and then Daenerys gets at her wedding these rocks which are dragon eggs and eventually Mm. like they become her dragons and this is part of what unleashes her power right so this feels very much like okay zuko there's your dragon egg let's let's do it i love it it. i love it it does feel like a moment of like destiny right Mm -hmm. um so zuko runs up to the pillar and he reaches out his hands towards it but ang waves at him to stop to talk to not touch it he says, remember what happened out there with those spikes? I'm just very suspicious of giant glowing gems sitting on pedestals. It's almost as if Aang has seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and we'll see right. in a moment that Zuko hasn't. Because he, there's yes. a very important thing he doesn't do. <laughs> so Zuko lifts it anyway. But does he, he lift it and replace it with an equally weighted bag of sand? No, he just lifts it off. That's what Indy would have done. Right, it was not, that was a misstep from Zuko. He had seemed like the indie of the two of them, but now not so sure. So he lifts it anyway, and he notes that it feels somewhat alive. Okay, so come Sam, on, <laughs> Sam, you're very excited. <laughs> and suddenly, a geyser of green sludge shoots out from the center of the floor, and it causes Zuko to launch upwards towards that skylight, uh, where he is then stuck to the ceiling of this of this room. And the golden door behind them slams shut and the room begins to fill with this sludge. And Zuko gets stuck to that small grate at the top of the room where the light is streaming in and Aang desperately tries to airbend Zuko down but can't. And eventually, because the sludge is filling the room, they both get stuck to the grate and the entire room is full of sludge and only their faces are uncovered in this skylight. And Zuko says, well, at least we have hair, or at least we have air (laughs) and hair. At least we have air. Maybe if we stay calm, we can figure a way out of this. Now, there's another detail here that Mm. I find interesting. Um, So when Zuko is first stuck up to this grate in the ceiling, the egg is also stuck up with him. Mm. But then it's when Aang blows to try to free him, the egg, or the egg is no longer there. So this is clearly has fallen back into this room. But another important thing here is Aang clearly makes a move to get his staff, his glider. Mm. But then he drops it as he gets stuck up there, and we never see the glider again. So I'm curious if they're going to deal with the fact that he has lost his glider, or does he just like get it back from the folks he meets uh... later? But, there, but if you watch the scene, he definitely has his glider, and he drops it. 
Yeah, I remember seeing it like float away in the sludge. Yeah. Which again, um, this is an animated show, so anything that happens is intentional because it's not like, oh, we shot this and the actor just dropped it and it's like Yeah. No, they they like actually somebody had to draw that stuff. So I'm curious yes. what this is gonna mean in terms of the glider. I will say too though, on Avatar Wiki there's um all these sections about like notes of the episode, fun trivia, but there's also a section that's mistakes and errors. Mm-hmm. And um, like animation errors. So there are some, and sure. I try to avoid it because that will bother me so much. And I will only mm-hmm. ever see those errors when I rewatch. Um, but I did read one from this episode regarding Zuko's scar. And I wonder if that is either an error or like they had mentioned, or they had a scene later that they were going to bring it back, or I don't know. Um, but yeah, if they drew that, it was very intentional. Right. So. But, but again, I think there is an explanation because. Uh, I firmly believe that this is Zuko's dragon in the egg. So the egg, they clearly recover the egg from this room of sludge. They could clearly recover the glider as well. So, yes, but it is interesting that it's in there. Agreed. Yes, for sure. Um, So the boys are stuck (laughs) at the top of this room, staring at the night sky from the sludge. So uh, they have been there for a while and they begin to bicker or perhaps have been bickering the whole time blaming each other for their predicament. And Aang finally calls out for help. And Zuko says, who are you yelling to? No one has lived here for centuries. And Aang says, well, what do you think we should do? And Zuko, after pausing for a second, says, think about our place in the universe. And so they sit there and they stare at the stars and like maybe are thinking about their place in the universe when a sun warrior chief approaches and says, who goes there? I really loved this little moment. Um, where they're there, where Zuko says that. And it's like, I, I read that as Zuko was trying to think like, hey, what would Iroh say? Because mm. he, he says it with a question mark. So he's not definitively saying this is what we should do. But it's like, well, I don't know what to do. So let me think back to the best teacher I had, the wisest person I know. And he just says that. And then they sit there and do it. And I think that's kind of great and maybe that is part of the answer and yeah because we see eventually yeah. they get out so yeah it's the again it's like the shadow or the ghost of iroh through all of this like even mm-hmm. before this he says maybe if we stay calm we can figure a way out of this that is not how zuko would ever say anything before this episode and then to be like let's just think about our place in the universe again very iroh like I, I love the idea I lo- yeah i love the idea that zuko is really committed to trying to make this change in him work because we've seen throughout the run of this show, he makes a change and then just doubles back on it. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, if anything should make him full of rage and anger and all these things, this predicament should, and he's oddly like calm about it. And I, yeah. I really like that, but, it, but it's also seems clear. He's it's work for him to be calm. He's not, yeah. it's not just like naturally flowing out of him. He's, He's trying to do like, it's like fake it till you make it. Like I'm going to act like I am a calm sage and then hopefully I will become one. Yeah. Um, I just, as you were talking about that, I was thinking too uh, about the previous or two episodes ago when he confronts Ozai and Ozai says uh, something to the effect of, it seems like you, uh, it seems like Iroh got to you. And then Zuko says, yeah, he did. And he's like proud and happy by that fact. And I wonder too, um, remember when they were around the fire and 
all of his friends were asking him who he's mad at. Do you remember who he said he was mad at? At the end, they were like, who are you angry at? Like, why are you so angry? Who, like, where, where is your anger directed at? Did he not end with, I'm angry at myself? I think so, yeah. And so I think, I feel like, so the shadows of Iroh in this, I feel like are maybe maybe he's more committed to it because he spoke it out loud. He said it to his dad. He's like committed to the fact that Iroh's like actually really my dad in effect. And then I think that I, I feel like I just came to this because for so long I was like, oh, it doesn't make sense to me that he would lose firebending because he no longer has rage at the avatar. Because it's like, well, mm -hmm. he's probably mad at his dad still. But neither of those was the source of his anger, right? Like, he was mad at himself. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. And so I think I think it's not about rage rage against the, the Aangang, rage against his dad. It's like, when he chose the side that he knew was right, when he chose his destiny, and then when he was able to make amends with the Avatar, that made him no longer angry at himself for all of his bad choices. And like put his mind at peace. And then I think maybe that's why his firebending has gone. Do you think? I really, really like that. Now I'm trying to think um, at what point, what is the last time we saw him really do a lot of major firebending? <laughs> I'm just curious. I mean, it's I mean, not that, not that him saying that was the total cathartic moment, but yeah, because it's interesting. Like when he confronts his, father obviously he's not firebending because oh i um, guess when he faces combustion man he's he yep. builds that shield around himself yeah yep 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 and that was pretty impressive yeah uh that was a cool fight sequence so i feel yeah I well maybe it it's being like, accepted by the avatar yeah you know is part of the thing that like helps him start to really even more so come to terms with that that's really i really yeah. like that that connection um because yeah, you're I, I did i did look it up as you were talking and he that is in fact exactly what he says where he's yeah, who to, he's angry with right to be like it's not about and like he i think he needed the avatar to forgive him so that he could also forgive himself like i right. think that that was the last thing i think he tried to make peace with everyone around him or at least get everyone on the same page when he talked to his dad, when he left the note for May, like, and then when he uh, approached the Aangang, it's like, I need every, I need everyone to know where I'm at to accept that. Um, and regardless, then that'll help me heal and forgive myself. Right. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. So I like that a lot though. I think that's important. Yeah. I, yeah. I like it too. Um, I feel like I got an answer there for myself of the question that was bothering me the whole time. So uh, we leave off with a sun warrior. It turns out they're still around. <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> and uh, we have a freed Aang and Zuko in the next scene. They're sitting outside the golden doors at the ziggurat. And there's these like creepy looking anteater sloths. I don't really know what they are, but they're slurping the sludge slowly away from uh, the faces of the boys. And there's about a group of two dozen or so sun warriors surrounding them. Again, they're kind of um, stylized to look like an ancient civilization. Uh, and they're holding weapons and torches. And the chief or the king, I think in my notes, I kind of went between the two. We'll just call him chief, I guess. Sounds good. Is that okay? Sounds good. Yep, that works. So uh, he says, for trying to take our sunstone, you must be severely punished. 
And Zuko explains theft was not their intent. They wanted to learn the origin of firebending. That's why they came there. And there's this man who is like the right-hand man of the chief. I call him the jerk sun warrior. He seems to have a chip on his shoulder. Uh, but uh, he steps out from the crowd and he accuses them of lying. He's like, this is clearly, they clearly came to steal. And he says, please, I don't normally play this card, which he totally does. But he says, but I'm the avatar. Just hear us out. And Zuko says, my name is Zuko, crown prince of the Fire Nation, or at least I used to be. I know my people have distorted the ways of firebending to be fueled by anger and rage. But now I want to learn the true way, the original way. When we came here, I never imagined the Sun Warrior civilization was secretly alive. I'm truly humbled to be in your presence. Okay, like something Iroh would say. I was going right? to say, the, the, the truly humbled to be in your presence, that is an Iroh line, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but uh, even, even the way he starts, he says, I know my people have distorted the ways of firebending to be fueled by anger and rage. I mean, there's there's such a shadows of the past moment there too. He's like, I'm acknowledging the past. I'm acknowledging who I am, mm. um, and I'm acknowledging the past, and I am humbled to be here, and I want to try to really make up for this to a certain degree, or to change mm. the direction of this. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, I, and I, I loved I I I, I uh, underlined the word humbled there because um, it is. Zuko's in a in a season of of being humbled, <laughs> I think, in in lots and lots of ways. Uh, but but it also, like you were pointing to before, it feels like the the sort of sh- uh, shadow or ghost of Iroh is in this. It's like Iroh is writing lines for him to say, "Here's how to address these people," because this is not mm-hmm. how season one um, Zuko would have approached these these folks. Yeah, he would come in <laughs> and fight, right? Like he would have just fought rather than um, kind of like negotiate or, or or even not even negotiated. It feels like uh, really respecting. Mm-hmm. And they do like they both bow their heads in respect to um, to the whole Sun Warrior um, nation that was there. And Zuko says, please teach us. And then she says, if you wish to learn the ways of the sun, you must learn them from the masters, Ran and Shaw. When you present yourselves to them, they will examine you. They'll read your hearts, your souls. And then the, the chief turns specifically to Zuko and says, and they'll read your ancestry. Or he might as well just say, and the shadows of your past. <laughs> hmm. Yes, because another thing that another shadow I always forget about with Zuko is that he is both related to the Avatar and to his like the royal line. Mm-hmm. I always forget that part. And I think the only two dragons we've seen in the series were Sozin's dragon and Roku's dragon. Right. Is that right? It, absolutely. And so it's like they, they are, I mean, and even in his nightmares, like in a fever dream in season two in Bossing Se, uh, he's haunted in that dream by two dragons, a blue dragon and a red dragon. And like, you're meant to think of those as being Azula and Iroh because they kind of take on those voices. But at the same time, you could also say one might be Sozin and one might be the Avatar, right? Like both of these parts of his past and his family lineage that are giving him conflicting ideas. Um, Little fun side note, Ran and Shaw. uh, Ran means burn or ignite in Chinese and Shaw um, is more correctly pronounced Shao, apparently. 
I think I said that right. And it means burn or blaze. And they are characteristics that could be used together to mean combustion, flaming, or kindle. That came from Avatar Wiki. I read that word for word. <laughs> wow, I was so I was that's interesting because I was so curious when those names came out. I thought, well, those names clearly mean something. Right. That's exactly. that's great. Um so they'll examine your hearts, your souls, and your ancestry. If they deem you worthy, they will teach you. If they don't, you will be destroyed on the spot. Dun, dun, dun. So then it's daytime, and we have a shot at the top of the ziggurat with uh, a mountain in the distance that has these two narrow peaks kind of at the top of it. And we're inside this like pagoda pavilion kind of thing on the top of the ziggurat. And sun warriors are sitting cross-legged before a large fire that's inside of this ornate like furnace or, or hearth. And Aang and Zuko are looking on. And the chief says, if you're going to see the masters, you must bring them a piece of the eternal flame. This fire is the very first one. It was given to man by the dragons. We have kept it going for thousands of years. You will each take a piece of it to the masters to show your commitment to the sacred art of firebending. And Aang sheepishly admits to uh, who he calls Mr. Sun Chief Sir that he isn't a firebender and suggests maybe his friend can carry it for him. And the chief says, no, <laughs> this ritual illustrates the essence of sun warrior philosophy. You must maintain a constant heat. And he draws two balls of fire from these eternal flames. And he says, the flame will go out if you make it too small. And the camera looks at Aang. And he says, if you make it too big, you might lose control. And the camera pans to Zuko. And it's one of those things where it's like you want to point out like, oh, here's what he's talking about. But the show even tells you, here's what he's talking about, right? <laughs> these are the these are the two bar these are the barriers that each of them carry, which keeps mm -hmm. them from firebending to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fear and rage. Yeah. Aang hesitates though to take the ball of fire in his hands. He apologizes to the sun chief and he expresses his nervousness. Uh, but as soon as he takes it, he starts to smile and he says, it's like a little heartbeat. How much does this remind you of when Zuko takes up the egg and says it feels somewhat alive? Mm, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, like, like those 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 are two times where somebody's like, there's more to this than what it appears to be. Ah, I like it. Didn't notice that. So then Mr. Sun Chief, sir, says fire is life, not just destruction. And he instructs them to carry their flames to the top of the mountain with the two peaks where the cave of the masters lie. Uh, so Zuko and Aang begin to walk through this lush green field at the mountain's base. Um, and Zuko's in the lead by many paces because Aang is so tenderly trying to keep his, his fire alive in his hands. And Zuko tells Aang he has to move faster, but Aang worries that the speed is going to make his fire die out. And Zuko says, it's going to die out because it's too small. You're too timid. Give it more juice. And Aang says he might not be able to control it if he tries to do that. Just like before with Zhang Zhang and Katara. Right. So that's the shadow of his past, right? That, that, mm. that, that's haunting him is this sense of, I've done this before. I've... So when he, said, when he tells the chief he's not a firebender, it's like, well, you are actually. Like, like I... Sam Mulberry, I'm not a firebender. Aang is a firebender. It's just he, because of his past with this, he's so afraid to do something wrong. He's so afraid yeah. to harm somebody that he can't actually 
unleashed because this shouldn't be hard for them. This shouldn't be hard to be like, sure, this fire, keep it going. It's like these are two very powerful people, but they ha- they both have these these whether they're mental blocks or some or spiritual blocks keeping them from mm-hmm. doing it. And that's super interesting too because I I don't remember if it was when Aang first used water or when he first used earth. Uh, I don't remember, but whoever it was said, oh, you are a waterbender or, oh, you're an earthbender. It was like the second that he used it, they were like, this, that's now who you are. That's your identity too. And so, yeah, like to be like, oh, you are a firebender. It's just, you have denied that you're a firebender out of fear. So Zuko takes a different tone and he says, look, you can do it. I know you can. You're a talented kid. And they continue hiking into the rockier terrain and Aang's spirits are lifted a little bit. I love this line from Zuko. This this feels like the Zuko from the beginning of the episode, like the encouraging teacher version. You yes. know, that he's just like you it's almost like it's like you're not gonna expect me to say this to you, but I'm gonna tell you this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really I really liked that moment. And and I think, you know, you've talked about there's this definitely like sibling relationship that sort of plays out. And Zuko mm-hmm. with Zuko, sort of the older brother, and Aang, the younger brother, and this is sort of this acknowledgement of the the older brother saying, "I know that that you don't always think so much of yourself, but I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you something honestly here. Like you're talented, you can do this." Yeah, yeah, it's like more tender and vulnerable than I would have thought Zuko would be with him. Mm-hmm. So then, at the base of the two peaks, they finally make it there. But at the base, they come across a steep, and like that is underlined, like this is a very steep, hundreds of steps staircase between the two peaks. And the sun is about to set in the distance behind it. And the sun warriors are standing beside it. So the sun warriors made it up the mountain before them, I guess, with all their equipment for their religious ritual that will happen soon. So that was also another like convenience, but. You know, well, they, you know, they, but they live here, so they may know. Yeah, they may know the easy ways up. They also may be more accustomed to climbing. I That's remember true. when I lived in Oregon, there were, you know, we would do some like small mountain climbs, and you know, you felt like I was like twenty years old. I should be, you know, in peak physical condition. Like I could do it, but I would. But then you look at like these older folks who oh, just sort of walked right up, and you're like, it's because this is what you do. And yes. like for me, I've never done this before. So, yeah. So, so actually, I actually kind of like the fact that for them, this thing that seemed like it was so difficult for them is like, no, no, this is just every day. That's a really good point. Like, okay, this is another tangent, but hiking here, it's like, we'll hike a mountain and I'll be heaving and like, look like trash and super sweaty. And there'll be folks who are decades upon decades older than me out pacing us they get to the top of the mountain and on the tops of these mountains in korea are workout zones like the outdoor communal workout zones so people will hike up and then work out and then hike back down and it's like yeah i guess if you're doing this every weekend you can do it with ease so okay fine makes sense all right i can't be mad at john o'brien for that so the staircase leads to this long pathway like a bridge that's connecting the two peaks high above them And the chief addresses them and says, facing the judgment of the firebending masters will be very dangerous for you. And to Zuko, he specifically says, your ancestors are directly responsible for the dragon's disappearance. 
shadows the of masters, the past. <laughs> yes. The masters might not be so happy to see you. And then Aang suggests that maybe being the Avatar might help. Another playing of the Avatar card. And the chief says to Aang, have you forgotten that you vanished, allowing the Fire Nation to wreak havoc on the world? The decline of the dragons is your burden, too. Shadows of the past. And also, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because he is almost literally saying you have blood on your hands. Yes. You know, and, and like Aang, this is something Aang has wrestled with, but it's usually framed in terms of Aang wrestling with it and the other people around him saying, it's not your fault. This is the way it had to be. But mm. these folks are saying, no, this is kind of your fault. Like, like you yeah. need to acknowledge this is this this is on you. Yeah. Yes. So we hear drums beginning to play as the chief takes uh, bits of each of the boys' flames and passes them to other sun warriors, and it initiates this kind of uh, like religious ritual. And Aang whispers to Zuko that you know, like we could turn back. Like we learned a lot about firebending already. Uh, let's just go. And Zuko says they can't back down. They need to see what's great about these masters. And he draws his sword slightly and to Aang on the sly says, we're the fire prince and the avatar. I think we could take these guys in a fight, whoever they are. Meanwhile, the sun warriors uh, have made this large circle, 10 of them holding rings of fire on one side of the circle, 10 mirroring them on the other side with rings of fire. And Zuko yells for them to bring out the masters. And the chief tells the chanters to begin. And so this is where we cue the, the song from the end theme, which we'll talk about in an interview towards the end of the episode. I did not really pay attention to it. And it's uh, very obviously the end theme. <laughs> um, there's a drum beat. There's men chanting. Uh, there's women bowing. Uh, it, it's clearly a spiritual moment. And Aang and Zuko both take a deep breath and begin to ascend the mini stairs up to the bridge with their flames in their hands. And Aang's looks tiny compared yes. to those. And I will say, if it wasn't two masters that they were going to see, if it was one, this is where I was like, Iroh's at the top of these stairs. I, I still <laughs> kind of thought Iroh would be at the top of these stairs. Oh, wouldn't that be magnificent? Yeah. Oh, I want that so bad. <laughs> so at the top of the stairs, at either side of the bridge, connecting those two peaks are two caves. They're dark and ominous, and they're large. And the jerk sun warrior <laughs> bellows from below. Those who wish to meet the masters, Ran and Shaw, will now present their fire. And clearly this guy thinks these two are toast, right? Especially considering their past, the blood on their hands. They're like, how could these two individuals, no matter what their title or identity is, think that they are worthy when, they, when their ancestry has committed such atrocities? And the boys turn and they face opposite caves, bowing and presenting their flames. And the caves begin to crash and quake. And Aang, scared, loses his fire entirely. I really like uh, this because because when he loses his fire, it's he he's like he's holding it and he hears he goes to like check on Zuko. He turns towards Zuko to see what's happening behind him. And in doing that, it's sort of like this moment of like care for mm. Zuko that he like neglects the fire and it goes yeah. away. Absolutely. Yes, I didn't notice that. He like still had a little bit. And then when he cared for Zuko, it all went away. Um, yeah. So and, and during this whole 
scene there's this man also it's a subtle thing but a man is playing this large horn to draw forth the masters from the caves so again from avatar wiki i'm just going to read it uh, it says eternal flames are common to many ancient religions in particular the hebrew bible commands that the altar flame must never go out the sun warriors also seem to have a shofar a musical horn made from a ram's horn that is used to announce religious ceremonies which i thought was a fun kind of mm -hmm. cool fact that is just only for a split second where you see this this horn being played um so uh ang scared loses his fire entirely he shuffles kind of awkwardly checks on zuko behind him asks him to give him some of his fire and then reaches for it in desperation and Zuko pushes him back, kind of older brother style, and says, just make some on your own. And they bicker in the center. It's like Napoleon and Kip Dynamite or something. <laughs> Get your <laughs> own. Yes, it so is. So they're like bickering in the center of this bridge. Zuko yells, stop cheating off me. And Aang says, quit being stingy. And their whispers grow so loud that like the sun warriors are awkwardly hearing them at the base of the steps. And this is sort of and the peak of the like sibling rivalry kind of subtext of this like this 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 is what i mean it's because it almost seems what i like about it is it seems out of place for how reverent this <laughs> ceremony is and this moment is and you see them just the way that they're talking the way he says quit cheating off me is like <laughs> what <laughs> i love it it's, i think it's very funny it's so funny and like almost exactly like you know that that like classic cartoon of like somebody's holding someone's head back as they're running mm -hmm. at them and their arms are like flailing. That's basically what Zuko is doing to Aang. Right. Um, so the rumbling in the peak continues and out from each cave emerges a dragon, one red, one blue, both huge, like bigger than the spirit dragon we've seen before Roku's dragon. And they circle the boys on the bridge and they're screeching. Another interesting fact about um, the, the way that they're circling. Uh, so there's this symbol called the Teguk symbol. It's actually the symbol that's on the Korean flag. Um, so it's like the, the circle that uh, looks like um, kind of like the yin and yang circle, but instead of being black and white, it's red and blue. Um, so Koreans call their, uh, their flag the Teguki, like the, the Teguk symbol. And the red half represents positive cosmic forces. The blue half represents opposing negative cosmic forces. So it's similar to like the yin and yang and the, the water spirits that we saw uh, in the mm. pond in season one. So I thought that was cool too. It's just like a different iteration of the same kind of symbol of balance, but just like in a different culture, in a different type of, of bending culture. Um, so the the red and the blue dragon are circling like the Teguk symbol around the boys and Zuko and Aang stand back to back. And Zuko says, these are the masters. And Aang says, still think we can take them? And Zuko shushes them, kind of like jabs at him with his elbow. And the dragons mirror each other, changing their rotations and flight patterns. And Aang watches them closely because they're not attacking. They're just circling and doing these different movements. And Aang feels like they're meant to be doing the dragon dance with them. And finally convinces Zuko that it, at least it's something that they can try. It's and I love that I, they learned. Yeah, I love the visual image of them circling because they're also like, they're circling, but they're also going up and down. Like It looks like... Uh, when you see a roller coaster go past you, because it's like this, like perfect, like like chain wave kind of thing, and it's yes. the, the, 
I'll say the this the last part of this episode is really pretty to look at. They do some cool stuff visually, and I and the, those two dragons repeatedly circling them is both this like terrifying and kind of beautiful image, and like mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Zuko and Aang strike the poses that they saw in the statue room as the uh, chanting and the drumming continues below. And so I, I I thought it was interesting how quickly. Uh, Zuko and Aang were able to pick up the choreography. They've done this one time, and then it's like, well, now we're going to do it for our lives. Yeah, right. It's like maybe, um, yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Whenever I've done something and it's kind of made me feel ashamed, I feel like I remember it super well. So maybe they were both embarrassed about the dance earlier, and it's like committed to memory. Well, these are also people whose <laughs> whose lives are spent like studying different forms and things like True. that so i say that somewhat jokingly but it is i think my brought my daughter brought it up as we watched is like how do they remember the, these 10 things and they did it one time and then this traumatic thing happened to them so it's like wait you remembered every pose and they do it in unison so it's just very impressive but they are also yeah. they're also if you're a bender you're basically a dance master anyhow so True. You know, it's just what yeah. they do and they're both impressive people so yeah, good on them. This is a cool shot too because behind each boy as they dance, that the, um, the camera like looks just at Aang's profile as he's dancing, and behind him we see the dragon dancing in tandem. Like his head is moving with the same movements of of Aang's arms, and same with Zuko. So um, Aang is partnered up with the blue dragon, and Zuko with the red dragon. And the the statues dance. Uh, dance moves match the flourishes of the dragon's dances. And so once Aang and Zuko make it around their half circle, they complete the dance side by side, the dragons stop and fly in place. Now, just so we're, we remember this, like we've seen the red and blue dragons before mm-hmm. the, the red dragon is Roku's dragon, correct? And the blue is, is, um, Sozin's. Yep. And then okay. in, in the fever dream, the blue dragon represents Azula. Okay. And the red dragon represents Iroh. Because I feel like that's significant that we have this. I mean, they're not the same red and blue dragons, but we have these symbolically, these red and blue dragons. So it's worth kind of paying attention to how they're lining up with each other. Yeah. And like, and, and that it's about opposing forces, right? So if we're thinking about the Teguk symbol, you have the positive and the negative. Uh, and they oppose one another, but their opposition creates balance. And it's like, we are seeing two individuals who have constantly opposed themselves or opposed each other throughout the entire series. And even their ancestors did. And yet like that needed to happen for balance to be mm-hmm. restored. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's really, yeah, I think the colors are are very profound. Um, so they complete the dance side by side, the dragons stop and they start to fly in place next to them. And their giant angry faces stare down these two boys. This time the blue dragon staring at Zuko, the red dragon staring at Aang. And the dragons perch on the staircase and begin to breathe streams of fire directly at the boys. But instead of burning them, the fire spirals around them toward the sky in a pillar of rainbow flames. And inside the pillar of the fire, it almost feels like like the eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. It's very calm, and we just see Aang and Zuko standing back to back, staring up in awe at all the colors. And Zuko says, I understand. 
and the dragons stop their fire breathing, then return into their caves. And below, the sun warriors stop their chanting and assume the Fire Nation bow towards the boys and towards the masters. I really love how, you know, we talked about the sort of symbology of these two kind of opposing colors, right? And that Mm. balance comes when you bring these two opposites together. But what they show them is not balance coming from these two opposites together is they, they, what they see is sort of the full spectrum of color that it's right. In fact, Mm. it's not about two opposing views, but it's about this sort of multitude and multiplicity, you know, that, Mm. that, and maybe it's like when we have, when there is balance between these extremes, you get not just the two extremes in balance, but it opens up everything. Right, it opens mm. up the full. So I, I loved that. I, I loved you know thinking about this as a, a a dance of color. That at the end you're seeing all color. I think that's really cool. Yes, and it feels like a John O'Brien philosophy moment, don't you mm-hmm. think? Absolutely. Um, I love. Yeah, I love the idea of a spectrum. Yeah. So the boys walk down the stairs. Their demeanor is entirely different now. They are like excited. They're very excited. And Zuko is expressing the beauty that they saw. He said, I saw colors I never imagined. And Aang says, like firebending harmony. And at the base of the steps, the chief congratulates them and says that the dragons judged them as worthy and gave them visions of the meaning of firebending. And Zuko can't believe that the dragons are still alive. And he says, you know, my uncle faced and killed the last dragon. And Aang says, so your uncle lied. And the chief says, actually, it wasn't a total lie. Iroh was the last outsider to face the masters. They deemed him worthy and passed the secret onto him as well. And Zuko says, he must have lied to protect them so that no one else would hunt them. And that's such an interesting thing to think about how much they're focusing on whether or not Iroh told the truth or what that, you know, what that meant, things like that. But what's what they're not talking about is that Iroh is somebody who is tapped in to this wisdom, right? Um, so it's 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 kind of like uh, when we talked with Jasmine Griffin about Zuko alone. She said, you know, like if you pay attention to like what's on the surface, you think that's the big question. But in reality, if you're paying attention to the other things that are happening, there's actually other stuff being revealed. So we already know that that Iroh seems tapped into a kind of wisdom that uh, is different than uh, the other firebenders we've seen. And I think we just saw a major source of that, you know, mm-hmm. that he was found worthy by these masters. He was taught the, the true secrets of firebending, which the descendants of Sozin don't have, right? That they have mm-hmm. firebending as this anger and rage kind of thing. And this is why, I mean, if we want to get, if we want to get uh, really philosophical here, right? If you think about, um, even in Platonic philosophy, in the allegory of the cave, Plato talks about mm-hmm. like the one person who's freed from the cave and brought out and, and is able to see real truth and real reality, see the world of the forms, and that when they're brought back into the cave, everybody ridicules them, right? And, mm-hmm. and it, so you wonder, like, why is Iroh such a source of ridicule in his family and in the Fire Nation? It's like, oh, because he's enlightened. Because like he actually knows something. Like He has been to this literal mountaintop. He has seen the this this sort of firebending harmony reality and maybe nobody else has nobody else alive has seen that yeah 
Yes, for sure. And I also think like uh, one other thing we know about Iroh that no one else can do is that he can redirect lightning fire. Mm-hmm. And like that feels like somebody who met dragons. It's like somebody who says this thing that is like the ultimate most destructive form of firebending I'm going to use that in a way that preserves life or that can preserve life. It's not about creating destruction. It's about like redirecting that energy towards exactly. like away from something out of protection. Yeah. Man, I miss Iroh. <laughs> I feel like we feel like he's coming soon. He's gotta be. Okay. So Aang says all this time, I thought firebending was destruction. Since I hurt Katara, I've been too afraid and hesitant. But now I know what it really is. It's energy and life. And Zuko, in a very cheesy delivery, I thought, but a good one, he says, yeah, it's like the sun, but inside of you. (laughs) He doesn't quite say it like that, but that's how I take it. Right. And he goes, do you guys realize this? And the sun warrior says, like, essentially, duh, yes, of course, we understand this. And Zuko says, that's why my firebending was so weak before, because for so many years, hunting you was my drive, was my purpose. So when I joined you, I lost sight of my inner fire. But now I have a new drive. I have to help you defeat my father and restore balance to the world. And Zuko steps away from them and he strikes his hand outward. And as he does, he is able to make a stream of powerful fire. And Aang steps aside, does the same pose in the other direction, and is also able to create fire too, even just briefly. And so this is joke- so 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 this is the uh, the thing that some people criticize, right? Is that like mm. we did this, and all of a sudden, like we went from Aang doesn't know anything about firebending, and Zuko's unable to do it. To by the by the end of twenty two minutes, it's like they are now powerful firebenders. Right. I appreciate yeah. it. I do too. I do too. And I think like, we know that Aang's a fast learner. We know Mm -hmm. that as soon as he felt comfortable, even as soon as he just started using water, he was already getting to be as good at it as Katara was like in the first couple episodes of of season one. So like, he's a quick learner. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And even with Toph, there's this sense that like he couldn't earthbend, but then once he could, it was unlocked and he could then like do all kinds of things because he is, I mean, he actually is special, right? Like he's something closer to a God in this world than, you know, than, than everybody else. So like, so that to me, that's not a problem at all. Zuko, it's, this is more about clearing up a block. He already was a firebender. Um, Plus like the story necessitates that this be something that happens quickly because not just because we only have 20 episodes left, but because our characters have a real clock. I mean, the, the, the comet's coming, so it can't be like, you know what, this should take him, you know, 10 years to do. It's like, yep, but that's what all this should have done. But this is, this is part of the story is that Aang is able to do this stuff really rapidly. Yeah. Yes. I think that the, the people who think this is a little too convenient, like, I get that for some elements of the story. I don't really feel that for unlocking fire, the, the ability to bend fire. Cause Aang's already done that before. It's just mm-hmm. being able to get over again, that like mental block that he had yeah, an emotional block. Um, so the chief jokes that now that they know the secret, they have to be imprisoned with the sun warriors forever. Um, but he does tell them in all seriousness, don't tell a soul. Um, 
So back at the Western Air Temple, what do they do? But they tell all of their friends exactly I loved, what happened. I loved that he layered, he, he slapped two jokes there, right? You have the, the like kind of lame joke from the chief of like, you could never leave. Just kidding. It's like, okay, kind of funny. And then he says, but seriously, don't tell a soul. Hard cut to them telling everybody they know. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like even the B squad is like, oh, cool. <laughs> but note, they are silent. <laughs> yes, yes. They're just listening. They're just sitting. Um, so at the Western Air Temple, um, they're explaining what they saw as they're also showing them the, the extended Aangang family, these new techniques that they learned. And Sokka says, wow, yeah, that's a great dance you two learned there. And Zuko says, it's not a dance. It's a firebending form. Sokka, Sokka goes, well, uh, we'll just tap dance our way to the Fire Lord then. And Zuko defends like the sanctity and the symbolism of the ancient techniques. But then when Katara asks him what his little form is called, everyone laughs because Zuko answers, very embarrassed, the dancing dragon. And that's the end of the episode. So do you, uh, do you have big thoughts, ideas, questions, expectations coming out of this? Well, now that now that Aang has learned firebending, it's like, okay, well, clearly we're going to get more instruction from Zuko as we go. Now that he can, like, sustain firebending at least to a certain degree, right? So I'm wondering if there's going to be more Zuko. I'm wondering if we're going to have, like, a more fleshed out type of teacher who mm -hmm. Zuko is. Like, I want to see that more. Um, and... Uh, questions about Iroh. Where is Iroh? Like we, the last time we saw him, I don't even think we saw him in the episode where he breaks out from jail, right? Just the episode no, before when he's talking right. with Serena Williams. Right. <laughs> and, and then uh, the next episode we don't see him. So it's been like three episodes, but he has been constantly brought up in every one. Like he really does loom over each episode. So it's like, when are you going to come? And like, how dope is it going to be? <laughs> well, and now, now I know why they waited. Because the thing that I walk out of this most excited for, if Iroh really is the only person before this alive in the world who has seen this, this like reality from the Firebending Masters, I'm so excited for him to meet Zuko now that Zuko's seen it as well. It's like... Like there, Zuko should be fundamentally changed by this in ways that at least Iroh will be able to recognize. Like, oh, you've like you've been to the mountaintop, to the crossroads. Like you're different now. Yeah. Like I, I think like I'm I'm very very excited for that. Um, I I'm wondering, you know, you talked about you know more to teach Aang, which is absolutely right. Although it's sort of funny, like. We assume Aang is still learning, learning like water bending and earth bending because they talk about it. But it's like, well, what does he have to learn? There is one specific fire bending thing that I assume they'll teach him only because it is this unique thing, which is the lightning redirect. Right. You know, and that yeah. seems like a very airbender kind of move, anyhow, because it's more yeah. about evading and avoiding. So whether it's Zuko or Iroh, I assume that will be the firebending teaching set piece we get is something about that. It seems absolutely crucial for the final battle with the boss, right? Like he needs to know how to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, I also feel like we're walking right up to white Lotus now. 
because <clears throat> because we're going to reintroduce Iroh really soon. Because I think part of Iroh's connection to what seems to be the White Lotus philosophy, which is, it's not about it's about this kind of harmony. It's not about how these things are in opposition, just about how these things are in opposition to each other, these different elements, these different peoples, because White Lotus mm-hmm. cuts across that. I feel like we've now set the stage for, um, I'm guessing this is part of how Iroh ends up in the White Lotus as he becomes this enlightened person. So I think we're ready to learn more about it um, and mm-hmm. figure out how it's going to function in the end game of this show. Yeah. And I can't wait. I'm so excited. Any other big questions or themes or thoughts, Sam? Well, you know, we're, we're so right now we're staring down seven episodes left. Um, and if, if I looked at like what, not even episode titles, but kind of how this, the season is structured on Netflix, we have a two part episode coming up. Then we ha- have two individual episodes. Then we have the three part finale. Yes. So there's not that much left. So it's like, I assume we have to get to some of our loose ends pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. Suki, Boomy, um, White I think Lotus. Our White Lotus. Like I feel like those things. I'm excited because like they have to be coming next because we've we don't have a lot of time for that, and mm-hmm. it would be very strange. I think those are the three. I mean, we've talked a lot about all the different things, but like those are the big three that that I feel like we still need to. Um, somehow connect with. So there are functionally three episodes before the finale, if you think two-parter and then two individual episodes. So Mm. um, I'm guessing the reintroduction of Iroh and the White Lotus, that can be, that can kind of come together. Um, The Suki connection somewhere in one of those you know individual episodes and then i think in the end game episode i feel like we'll resolve or learn more learn whatever else we're going to learn about ursa um now i you probably know this so don't reveal anything and just don't answer if you don't want to but like (laughs) what is your sense uh, because there was this indication that well maybe ursa's alive Mm. because she was banished do you think do you think we meet Ursa or do you not want to comment on that? I don't want to comment. Okay. So we do meet Ursa and she's going to explain <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, like, let's be honest, like they've already, they've already like hinted at that, right? Like that's, you don't need to mm-hmm. say anything, but like, that's my assumption is you wouldn't drop mm-hmm. something like that in because I'm trying to figure out, well, how is Zuko going to learn the truth about what happens when the two people he knows who know are the least likely to tell him the truth, or even if they do tell the truth, we can't be certain. Mm-hmm. So it's gotta be, either Iroh or Ursa. Mm. And it's like, I feel like if Iroh knew he would have said, right. (laughs) You know? So I think it is. Yes. So I think it is one of these, they encounter Ursa and maybe it's part of that three part end game. And Zuko comes to a deeper realization about the shadows of his past, you know, things Mm. that have happened. So, so I feel like that's coming, but I'm going to, I'm going to put that in the three part ending. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that may even come, you know, after 
okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they defeat the Fire Lord and they do <laughs> sort of bring some sort of peace and resolution to this world. Um, it may be that it's only after that that Zuko learns those things. Maybe he finds Ursa. So, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how they would structure it, but that's my that's my sort of vague sense of like how some of these things could work together. But those seem like the big pieces. Are there other big loose ends that? I you know what I can't think of them, and I think it's because finally, it feels like all the pieces of the puzzle are kind of there, right? Like. Aang knows the four different elements now, at least to some degree, like mm-hmm. he can use them and he's a quick learner. So that feels like that's something we don't have to worry about anymore. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember all the elements leading to the end. I obviously remember what happens at the end. Um, but yeah, I don't, I can't think of any like overarching huge questions other than the ones you've already brought up. Okay. So my other, my other prediction is, mm. White Lotus is going to include Iroh, obviously. Mm. Um, Piando, obviously, because we already know. Mm. I'm going to put Boomy in the White Lotus. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. There's going to be other characters we've met already. Uh, there's got to be a waterbender. Uh, it would be weird if Grand Grand was in the White Lotus, although I would like that. Would so, be dope. Yeah, so I assume it's got to be Paku because we just don't have that many other people there. Right. Um, and then, yeah, and then the Guru and the Guru. I think those, my prediction is all of those folks are connected to the White Lotus. Mm. Paku's the one I feel the least about because, like, he just seems like a water tribe person. But it's like, I, unless there's another water tribe person that I'm forgetting about that would make sense there. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I'm going to go with. Yeah. And I have questions too about the white, because that's one gap I have. I don't remember much about it at all. Uh, and I keep telling Mike to not tell me anything because like, <laughs> I don't want to know, like I want to go in blind, but I'm also thinking like back to season two in the desert. Uh, Iro came across white Lotus members, like just out and about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they helped, they helped. Earth, and they, they, they were earth kingdom folks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know how far reaching this group is. Like I, it seems like a secret society that would be kind of small and like, just have like the upper tier best of the best. But at the same time, like like people like, like Boomy or like Iroh, but at the same time, it's like, there were also a lot of randoms. So maybe it's like, well, two randoms. I don't know if that's a lot, (laughs) Yeah, but it felt like too perfect to just be like, Oh yeah. These two guys playing pie show. Like they must be a part of, you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. No, absolutely. Like, like there's maybe a lot of them. So then I'm like, what if they, it, it wouldn't be that weird or maybe it would be to like introduce new people at the end or just like, I oh, don't know that uh, yeah. we would need Paku if we had like a different waterbender. And I don't know the answer, but like, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think there would be other waterbenders. I just assume there would be a waterbender we know, but maybe we, not. Sure. Yeah, yeah. May, may, maybe not. Um, oh, I really want it to be Grand Grand. I think that <laughs> be would be so dope. It would be awesome. I'm just trying to figure out how. And when I mm-hmm. say waterbender, I don't actually mean waterbender because, like, I don't know that Piando is a firebender. True. Yeah. You know, true, like, true. I don't know that you need to be a bender. In fact, that would seem to go against the idea of what I think the White Lotus is all about is that yeah. it's not about drawing these distinctions. So I would love it if she was. I just don't know whether we can pull that off. Right. 
Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And I do think <gasps> it's a much bigger like network of people, but I feel like there's got to be a core of people there that are like, oh, this person uh, that we met before, we didn't know they were part of this other thing. Yeah, like special ops. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, yes. so I have a feeling that's coming soon. So Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I hope they don't save all of this stuff for the three-part finale. It would be a lot. <laughs> Right, right, but but because it, it would mean that they wouldn't spend a lot of time, you know, mm. fleshing it out, um, and that would be fine. Like I'm not going to be, I, I'm kind of not going to be upset at anything that they do, mm. but um, but I, I would I I would love it if this two parter got into some of that stuff because like you know they have forty forty five minutes or something to tell a story. That's that's a lot of time to that they could flesh out that pretty well. Yeah. Well I want it to be kind of like Order of the Phoenix in Harry Potter where it's like we sit with them and they're all like the old guard, right? And we like mm-hmm. sit with them for a while. Like they're in multiple books. We have conversations. They like to you know what I want yep. that kind of like mentoring relationship mm-hmm. to well, and, a little bit. And that's why at least a core of it has to be people we know because we can't spend a lot of too much time meeting too many people in order right, to pull this off. Right. It's like care as much. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but like seeing like Boomy and Iroh sitting at a table together, like oh. as old friends is kind of cool. And wouldn't you just want to be at that table? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It would be the best. You know what else is great in terms of thinking, sitting at a table, having a conversation? Mm. Having guests on the show. Do we have any guests on the show this week? Oh, my gosh, we do. Yeah, we have two guests that were with us before. Megan and Brian came on the uh, the, the library episode from yes. season two. Returning champions, right? <laughs> yes, we're so happy that we have listeners and that they want to talk to us. Uh, it's very thrilling. So um, I guess without further ado, should we move on to our, our interview? Yeah, here's our interview with uh, Megan Swadener and Brian Hansen. with Megan and Brian to join us to chat about this week's episode. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing well. Good to have you on the show again. It's been like an entire season since we last chatted. You guys were on during the library, which is like one of those pivotal moments in season two. And now you're here for Firebending Masters, which I feel like is another really big moment for our characters. There's like a lot of um, Aang, Zuko kind of like frenemy turned to just friends <laughs> like th- there's a lot of um, mm-hmm. positive energy between the two of them that we haven't really seen before uh as well as ang taking his first journey as um uh towards firebending so it's exciting um first and a half kind of yes that's true with jong jong he he started but um it's it's this episode's so interesting because it's like not only is zuko dealing with the fact that he doesn't have rage anymore, but Aang is dealing with fear and hatred of firebending. So it's like these two very strong emotion or lack of emotion that's like causing barriers for their firebending. Um, I was curious, what draws you to this episode and why did you want to guest on this one? Because we gave you some choices and, and this was one of the top ones. So what brings you to this episode? Yeah, um, this episode is really memorable for me. I even remembered a whole lot about it from when I had watched it the first time, like around the time when it came out. 
Um, I don't remember a bunch of details, but I mean, you see, you see the only dragons and you get actually some insight into firebending and how fire can actually be good. Cause up to this point, like you're kind of on the journey with Aang, just seeing fire as kind of destructive, the whole, the whole series until this point. And then you see it actually be useful and, and being like life and energy, how they describe it. Yeah. And even when we hear Iroh talking about, uh, the source of firebending in season two when he's doing one of those uh, when he's when he's training Zuko he even talks about it as being like born out of emotion and feeling uh, and sometimes rage like especially in Zuko's case so it's interesting mm-hmm. to get this other perspective um, that that it is emotion and maybe the fact that like firebending is life and life is emotion like that's life is feeling right and so like it's all connected like that but we've never really been delivered the idea of firebending in such a positive light before yeah and their culture has probably been like that for a long time because iroh we learned later in the episode came as well so he probably had a reason to learn uh firebending mm-hmm. in a new way so i'm sure that's just it's kind of the normal except for that tribe right yeah and you saying that makes that makes a lot of sense why Aang struggled too because not only did he not like firebending but as a monk I'm sure he's raised to be very level headed very close to no emotion at all so struggling with firebending even if it was a different element would make a lot of sense because it's tied to emotion yeah for sure and like uh, when when Aang meets Teo uh, was that the which temple was that northern yep. The Northern Air Temple, when he meets Tao, he talks about, like, spirit, right? And that monks and, like, air nomads have spirit. And and I think also, if we're thinking of, like, a monk lifestyle, it's, like, preserving life, right? Like, life is um, sacred and important, and it's something that we try to protect. And so I loved the moment when he he's really anxious about receiving that little fireball that he has to like keep ablaze and go up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he touches it in his hands, he's like, Oh, it feels like a little heartbeat. And I felt like that was such an air nomad way to like think about fire in his, like it's probably something a beginner would say, right? Like it, it feels like a heartbeat. I don't know that Zuko or Azula would ever say that when they're, um, using fire but like yeah, probably not Azula. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. <laughs> definitely not azula um but it, it it felt really profound and like pretty beautiful i thought um speaking of kind of th- this series does a really good job of talking about identity and destiny obviously um which i think is also really important for the young audiences that are watching but i was wondering what you guys feel about zuko in his role as teacher i i like it because it gives him a chance to grow a lot as well because with i mean katara kind of grew really quick before she became his teacher and she kind of learned with him but toff didn't really change a whole lot as his teacher so it's cool to have him kind of grow with a teacher i mean he hasn't really been taught much yet no and nor i don't nor do i think zuko really teaches him a ton no but going I, forward. I feel like the fact that this is probably the first time zuko's had to look more inward like he's actually having to go through like what do i know about this like it, it helps him grow himself because it's not just like going for this one goal get the avatar he's having to just like relearn himself which i feel like can be put towards a lot of things and a lot of skills we have now like 
you learn it as a kid, but then once you're an adult, different life circumstances happen. And then it's just like, okay, I actually don't really know how to do this. I have to reteach myself now. Absolutely. Like he has to figure out, I mean, like that's like such a struggle as teachers. I feel like Sam, you can probably relate to this. It's like some things you just like, you know, right. And you, it becomes innate. And then it's like, how do I express that to another <laughs> human being? Like <laughs> these skills that I've developed or even been born into if in the case of firebending, obviously not in the case of history, which I teach. <laughs> Sam thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting to think about when we see in, uh, I believe it's in Zuko alone in the flashbacks. He always talks about Azula as natural, but we see we see Zuko, young Zuko, like having to put in the work. And even in season one episodes, we see him training and like he needs to put in the work, which actually makes me think in some ways he might be better fit to be a teacher than we think because he actually knows what it's like to struggle to do this where i think azula would be a terrible teacher because she would be like the the math genius who's like saying well why don't you just get it like it's just right there <laughs> right where i i think i think zuko might might be in some ways perfectly set up to be uh to be a teacher um because of that struggle i like his encouragement towards Aang too it felt almost like brotherly like an older brother type of relationship when they're yeah. climbing up the mountain and he says things like like you're a really talented kid i know you can do this and it felt i, I wasn't curious what his style of teaching would be like like I, I wasn't sure um i thought it would be more like Toph and the fact that he's he seems a little bit more even similar to katara in the way that he like comes up alongside Aang. And uh, it's it's less about like tough love, <laughs> and more um, like we're on the same level. It's very interesting. I'm I'm sure it would have been more like the tough love had Zuko not lost his stuff. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it it'd be interesting to track like how he talks to Aang at the start of the episode when he still thinks that he has these abilities versus how yeah. he talks at the end of the episode when they're more uh, um, on a similar plane. So another thing, thoughts on Katara in this episode. We don't have like a B plot. And that's one thing that I know Sam and I wish that we, we maybe had in this episode. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on Katara as being vindictive? Um, this new kind <laughs> of uh, angry version of Katara. There's plenty of reasons why she could um, have some ill feelings towards Zuko. And she's the one that's kind of struggling the most in the group to allow him into that dynamic. Yeah. Cause I mean, you saw that in the previous episode too. Um, not sure if she stated it. I think she probably did, but like back in bossing say she started to trust him and then he mm -hmm. burned, he burned them again. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that she's really skeptical. Although after they accepted her into the group, you would think that kind of, cause she's the mom, she would want everybody to get along, but she's the one instigating, which I find interesting yeah and i think it's she's both kind of the mom of the group so you'd expect that but she's also one of ang's masters and she very much cares for her student and i think she has concern i mean probably rightfully so also just has concerns and maybe even what if we could call it professional jealousy for you know towards like <laughs> well now this other person's coming in and you know, Ang doesn't need a waterbending master as much anymore. Um, you know, so it's like, I, I wonder, we haven't, I mean, they've given us nothing to, 
uh, suspect that other than episodes like Bitter Work, where when Toph came along, there was definitely a tension there where she felt like, I know how to teach Aang. Let me tell you how to teach Aang. So she, yeah. she, she's somebody who's maybe prone to that a little bit too. Um, so I think bringing on another teacher, like that probably creates a, a complex dynamic. Yeah, because she and Toph butt heads a whole lot at the beginning too when she joined the group. Yeah, it's easy to forget that that was the story arc because now they're so close um which gives you hope for rizuko actually joining the crew uh the shots (laughs) that we get of him is like the gang moving away from him not ushering him in he's like kind of on the outside of a lot of the um the group hangouts (laughs) even more (laughs) so than like haru and teo (laughs) and kind of like the crew that clearly knows like okay we're not at part of the Aang gang but like we're here um so any favorite like scenes or imagery or moments that you have from this episode i like that they start poking fun at zuko and including him there's some really good jabs at him in this one i forget the whole quote but the one where um they're just entering the temple and um <laughs> what was it what was it uh, and says, doesn't matter what other people say you're pretty smart yeah. <laughs> pretty good yeah, you, see, smile you see him smile for a bit, and then just a split second, you see the realization that he's like, wait, did they say I'm dumb? <laughs> right, it's kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like it's the first time that he's probably gotten to experience that. So, like, like, to have people his own age acknowledge him and, like, welcome him in that way, it's kind of nice to see. Yeah, because he doesn't really have any any friends his age that we know of at all. I mean, he's got May and then... She's not the most... <laughs> I also, <laughs> along those lines, I like the uh, early in this episode when uh, when Zuko and Aang are starting their lesson and Sokka comes in and he, he refers to he both jerk. of them as jerks doing their jerk yeah. bending. And it would be one thing if it seemed like it was directed at Zuko, but it's directed at firebending because it's because yeah. he's calling ang a jerk too and it's like oh so they're just trying to figure out kind of how to rib each other and i, yeah. I like that a lot yeah <laughs> well and yeah so zuko's humor in this episode just completely falls flat like to to the other to the other characters like Toph ignores him his jerk bending thing he thinks it was funny but it wasn't <laughs> and then uh i did like though when he's like oh so we just need to need to make zuko angry huh and then he pokes him with the <laughs> stick <laughs> yes um and i like the idea that like this is new kind of friendship for him like we've seen him bonds at the campfire in season three with may and tylee and azula but that version of a friendship like was obviously wrought with a lot of past Mm -hmm. trauma (laughs) and it was more about sharing and growing in the moment where this is like oh you're a part of the crew if we play with each other like if we have a Mm -hmm. fun time we're joking at each other's expense like uh i never thought about how zuko joining that group it would probably feel quite different um especially coming from royalty yes and even just a cultural difference of like as as a royal firebender uh i don't know that he's ever been humbled in the way that these friends are humbling him yeah yeah not in a semi-positive playful way it's either been like congratulations or you're dead to me kind of deal but he takes Mm -hmm. it very well like he's not all high and mighty about it like he receives it very well so it's obviously something that he's been missing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um 
Sam, you haven't seen the next episodes yet, so I won't spoil anything, but a lot of that same humor and tone kind of like wraps through the next episodes and it mm-hmm. it's great. Um, even just when Aang and Zuko are flying on Appa and, <laughs> and he's complaining <laughs> about Appa and then Aang's like, you know what? We usually start these adventures with a positive <laughs> note. And it's like, clearly it's like- this is written by John O'Brien. Like it's just super funny, lighthearted. It's like the humor that we've been missing for a long time, I think. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting how Zuko calls Aang too timid. And he's like, when he grabbed the gem, he's like, at least I did something. And then when they're glued to the cage things, Zuko's like, let's just uh, sit here and think about our place in the universe. And Aang is actually yelling for help. So Aang's doing something. And Zuko's just like, maybe we do nothing. Uh, they switch roles a, a little bit back and forth this this episode. And even though Zuko criticizes Aang for not doing anything. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't even noticed that, especially given like Iroh and Iroisms of like, kind of do nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. like things will happen as they happen. You know what my favorite part is? It's when... Aang's fire goes out and Zuko tells him to go back down and get fire from one of the vendors. Those stairs are so high. He's not going to get it in time. I would think that's funny. And they're impossibly steep. I mean, there, there's are. a couple of shots yeah. there where I actually don't understand how they function as stairs. Vendors <laughs> <laughs> just have different capabilities. Um, Megan kind of pointed this out too. Their, their whole civilization there is somewhat reminiscent of the road to El Dorado. somewhat like kind of mind the super steep stairs into like kind of the sacrificial area and they're Mm. they're kind of hidden there's this really valuable gem which we don't really find anything about actually it's just kind of there as an indiana jones treasure yes like a booby trapped treasure basically My husband and I were talking about this because it's one of the things about this episode where we feel a little discomfort is the way that this indigenous group or this uh, this like ancient tribe is is depicted like mm-hmm. there's yeah. elements of it that feel like andean or like uh reminiscent of like aztec culture mm-hmm. um like kind of south american um mm-hmm. first nations but like like i get it too for the purpose of like this is meant to be an indiana jones episode like you were saying right so like mm-hmm. they that's an element of is it raiders of the lost ark that's it's more temple that's of doom i think temple of doom thank you so much <laughs> yeah, i haven't seen these in a while <laughs> um but but like with the booby traps and like um kind of some of the antics leading to the sun warriors like that's clearly pointing to indiana jones like even when they see this like big gold item and, and Aang's like I feel like if we touch that mm-hmm. things, like, bad things are going to happen right like the almost is a, trying to kill me <laughs> it's like a this like narrative kind of like meta narrative joke but um yeah I don't know like some of the the depictions of the sun warriors are are interesting and, and cool um but at the same time maybe just with the way that American films have shown people <laughs> of mm-hmm. those cultures before like discomfort is going to happen i don't know do you guys have thoughts on that at all i don't know um i'd have to put some more thought into it uh, just because i feel like it's so overplayed like that type of um setup for that culture that's just like what we're used to seeing in hollywood when that's portrayed Mm. um, which is kind of sad (laughs) so i just feel like it's lacking a lot of depth at a very basic level for a statement that I could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do I do like that he's able to joke around a little bit, though, the chief. Um, 
which actually was kind of similar to something Hama did in uh, Puppet Master, how he's like, and now you can never leave. You're like, we're here to trap you forever. Just kidding. Right, right. It's like much more um, lighthearted. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering Hama is like, legit, yeah. you can't leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. How do you feel about the, the story of the dragons? Especially, I, I was really moved by the last scene um or i guess like the second to last scene when there's like the rainbow fire and it's kind of like a pillar of this fire around the two of them they like are mirroring the dance of uh, like the sun warrior dance uh along with the dragons behind them like any Mm -hmm. thoughts on on kind of like either the dragons themselves or 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 the imagery or or metaphors there or, or even like connections and continuity with past descriptions of of um, firebending. Oh. I was trying to figure out what type of um, movement they were doing that they uh, connected that to in real life. Because I feel like a lot of the styles are connected a lot of times to different um, martial arts. Martial arts. Um, but nothing rang any bells right away. But I was trying to figure that out. I think, too, it's kind of interesting, like... We've never seen firebending done in a way that feels like a dance, especially like at the start of this season, we have the goofy footloose episode and it's like dancing is banned <laughs> in the fire nation. Like we don't do dancing. Yeah. Um, so like even having that as in the background, even though like clearly it was, is more of like a joke or, or just like a, a funny, um, almost a filler episode. Like yeah. the idea that there's these ancient dances that, uh, that probably people like Azula and um, and Fire Lord Ozai like never learned, uh, and and it feels more like what we see with water and earth bending. Like mm-hmm. like you were saying, like those are are usually like mirrored off of some type of martial art, and uh, also um, like will incorporate poses that we would maybe see in like yoga or um, other types of meditation and firebending all the firebending we've seen so far has been like jabs and shooting and like for the purpose solely of um fighting so i think that that's been fun to see like a softer side yeah i think the first thing i said to brian when we rewatched this episode was once zuko lost his stuff as i i mentioned i was like i never noticed like the movements that he does because i'm so distracted by the big blaze of Mm -hmm. fire and i was like he's moving a lot (laughs) yeah you notice a lot more what firebending looks like when there's not huge flames coming out Mm -hmm. but uh you mentioned yoga annie now actually i'm kind of putting two and two together the dancing dragon looks like a lot of yoga movements and poses which makes a lot of sense because yoga is supposed to be about breath and fire breathing is about your breath and keeping rooted i love that yes for sure it's all, like every move you make, it has to correspond with a, like a long breath that you take. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And like even the idea of firebending feeling like a heartbeat is like firebending feels like life and life is breath. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> Any other things for us to look out for or, or um, questions or themes that you want to talk about? I did find it a little odd that the Sun Warrior Chief said that Iroh wasn't really lying when he said there were no dragons left. Because like... I mean, he was lying, but he was lying for the protection of the dragons and for the sun warriors, which kind of brings up a, an interesting moral dilemma. It's like, do you just always tell the truth or are you allowed to? Is it okay to lie to protect 
someone or something mm-hmm. which I don't and think that the target audience would really think about but yeah I, do like thought. I um I think too because this episode some or this series can sometimes be black and white about like truth telling um and sometimes you you need to tell the full truth especially when we've seen like ang mess up in the past with the 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 scroll from um from katara and and sokka's dad uh but yeah yeah like there's this gray area and especially because we hear ang talk about iroh in this episode too and we don't really hear him say much in the past about iroh and like the one thing he describes him as is good he's like isn't isn't iroh like supposed to be good (laughs) um and so that's that's i hadn't thought about that um part of the story where like iroh has to make complex complicated decisions about who knows what um in order to preserve like the sanctity of a firebending as an art and also dragons it is possible also to see this as a john o'brien theme because in the great divide we also learn that ah, sometimes just lying about things can <laughs> can like resolve ages old issues so it's the yeah. same it's the same uh screenwriter for for these two episodes so maybe uh, this is a maybe this is something john o'brien feels strongly about yeah maybe it's like john o'brien philosophy 101 although i try to think of the great divide as not being canon Oh, okay. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but it is. <laughs> Megan, you had a thought you were going to bring up? Uh, you were just asking for things to look out for since, um, Sam, you haven't, you haven't seen any of the future episodes, right? Right, right. I just say um, probably look out for, there's episodes coming where Zugo gets to be one-on-one with a lot of the characters and watching his dynamic change as a whole is, mm. is really cool so there's a lot of growth there especially but, characters from his past yeah it really sets everything up so they're good they're good milestone episodes well that excites me because zuko is zuko's arc is is definitely the 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 one that twists the most the one that um uh grows and changes and curves and twists the most so like yeah i like like he's he's definitely i mean what i'm interested in as we get towards the end of this is something we talked about on our very first episodes is sort of whose story is this ultimately mm-hmm. and uh i feel like i still don't know and to be this far in and this close to the end and <laughs> still feel like i'm not sure at the end of the day, whose story this is going to be. And I say that as a strength, as a strength of the show, like, because I don't think it is going to be one person's story, but, uh, but, but I think you could easily view all of this through the lens of lots of different people. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good point. Maybe since Zuko's road is all over the place, that's why he likes May because she's so one note and very steady. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like a mooring for him. You know, she's steady. Yeah. It, it, it's a, pillar of consistency consistency. (laughs) i will say yeah the first time i watched this i like truly i i did not like may i could not find something in her that i liked but this time around (laughs) as we like as we walk through this episode by episode and talk about her merits like i really like may and him together Mm -hmm. and and i know there are people out there that will ship katara zuko Um, i never got that yeah yeah it, it it had there's like good scenes between the two of them for sure and like i can see where people would maybe draw some kind of romance but um i really like may and zuko and we leave them we've left them on such a a strange note of like he left her 
like a breakup te- a breakup text <laughs> basically <laughs> um and so now now may is kind of one of those lingering questions just like tylee of like where are these girls what are they going to do uh mm-hmm. are they going to help the effort are they going to hurt it um are they going to and we've seen them be a little bit subversive towards azula in the past but um like, is that going to continue or are they going to still be the Royal Academy mean girls and, uh, and kind of follow mm-hmm. along with Azula? Things to look out for. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. I'm sure. I'm not sure if you guys watched the outro at all, but the chant that the Sun Warriors were doing is the outro, but a little, a little beefed up, a little louder, a little more, um, more, more drum, um, which I thought was cool. Cause you hear that you're like, I definitely know this, but you often don't watch the outro. So you're like, I really know this. I connected to Avatar, but what exactly is it? Yes, I hadn't noticed that, Sam. I did because uh, because I I do I often will read the credits at the end of ep- of the episodes because I'm curious oh, yeah. about like oh who was a voice or I'm looking to see who wrote the episode um, and 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 also when I when we first started this podcast one of the things I wanted when I picked music for the show I was like I want to get a feel for how this sound so i so i listened to that so so i picked up right away when it appears in the show it feels it almost feels um strange to be like this is a song i'm very familiar with but now it's diegetic to the show it's like happening in the scene so that was that was a pretty powerful moment for me but you're right it is it's sort of beefed up because it's happening live um (laughs) yeah absolutely i love that moment Absolutely. It's so, so what's cool is it's music that's been there from the beginning, but now it takes on a different kind of meaning because it's mm-hmm. presumably this ancient, uh, it's this ancient song in the world. And I didn't know that before. Yeah. Mm. Sam is one who notoriously watches the, uh, like the, the last scene or what was, what is that? The previously on? Previously on. I mm. don't even know what it's called because I am so... Uh, you just click, you just click the skip intro button yeah, and it yeah, skips yeah, that part yeah. too. Skip intro and then the second the episode ends, I'm like, all right, move to the next one or turn it off. <laughs> I, I I don't know if it's like a fear of watching like the the credits roll. I don't. That's like apparently a fear people have. Maybe that's it. But I'm glad you brought that up because now I'm going to go back <laughs> and listen to that chant again and see how it connects with the outro. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's really fun to uh, have fans of of Avatar join us. And um, I also love to know that we have listeners out there. It makes me feel very good about myself. (laughs) Um, And it's been great to have you on multiple episodes, too, to kind of hear your perspectives, uh, like a season's length of episodes later, uh, as we're getting towards like the last, what, the last eight episodes? Is that what you have left, Sam? Seven now, yes. So, um, it's uh it's been really exciting to get to to meet other people um and chat with with you all and, and kind of feel like this is almost an open forum to to discuss some of the best parts about this series so thank you so much for joining Agreed. us yeah thank you guys yeah, i always fun. uh th- there are a few podcasts that i listen to right when they come out usually i'm backlogged like a month or so but yours is yeah, you are yours is one that i'll listen to right away you don't know how happy that makes both of us feel <laughs> <laughs> That's very sweet. Thank you for your um, continued listening. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll keep chatting, keep emailing um, and, and sharing some thoughts on the next couple episodes with each other. Well, Annie, that was a really fun, uh, really fun interview. Uh, just 
it's so much it's so much fun to talk with people now that we're so deep deep into the show that there's there's just lots of pieces although it is also hard because uh three of you know where this is headed and i'm i there's just feel like there's moments where i should just put on earmuffs and leave and let you guys talk but uh <laughs> Um, but we're very we're very close to the end. Uh, this has been a very long episode, um, so that is all the time that we have. I hope you're enjoying diving into this show with us. Um, please give us an email, channel3900 at gmail.com. Um, your thoughts about where this is headed, or if you want to wait until we get to the end and then email in your thoughts about uh, how it ends, because maybe you already know. Um, would love to hear from you. Would love to hear that you're listening. Um, we might do a couple one-off avatar with academics after we finish the show um as we're reflecting on it um so yeah we would love to hear from you um uh you can subscribe to the channel 3900 podcast network lots of great stuff uh coming there i've been in talks with people about plans for how some things are going to get retooled for uh, for when we start fall semester uh everybody's back on campus and we can start to uh record a little bit more so lots of new stuff coming so subscribe to the network and we will be back next week with book three fire chapter 14 the boiling rock part one